Am I making any sense? I think we are streaming. <laughs> yeah, only only someone for the 80s is gonna get that. So, all right, my friends, here we go. We got another episode of Am I Making Sense? What can I say about today's guest, man? This guy is, I, I love this guy. He's one of the most entertaining people that I know. He can be found performing stand-up comedy throughout clubs in the Bay Area. Not, not or really, not, right not anymore, not anymore. Or you can find him doing in the meantime on his YouTube page, the one, the only Mean Dave. Thank you, Mean. Thank you, Mean Dave. Oh, yeah. So yep. uh, what I do now is I just hire out of work Uber drivers to come in my garage and cheer. Oh yeah, man. When I uh, intro guests. Um, so it's been a while, Dave. I haven't seen you for a while. I'm hoping. I'm hoping you're doing fine. What have you been up to over the last year? <laughs> um, the pandemic I've year. You, I've seen you online. Pretty much the same thing as you. I mean, pandemic hit. I was lucky. I got asked to do a show on Zoom. I had no idea what Zoom was. Um, and the show that I did was uh, a very positive experience um, in terms of um, we we had an audience it wasn't like straightforward standup. It was with uh, three other comics who are very riff savvy. And, um, and they just wanted us to kind of riff with the crowd, like kind of like a panel. So it really felt like a live zoom podcast. Yeah. Um, and the audience was really cool. And they were all fairly, I don't want, they're not rich, but I mean, well, California rich, I guess they're like, okay. they're well to do people in the Bay area. These were people that attended a show that I performed on. And that's why we all were requested to kind of like do this show. Cause also uh, the host knew that, you know, comics, like most of the comics on the lineup didn't have the, like this comedy was like their, one of their main incomes. Yeah. I would say like at least two, me and another one, one did have a job, but she's a total fucking ham too. And she'll, she, you know, she's greedy for attention. So she was happy to do it. But um, we, uh, we all put our Venmos up and they tipped very generously and, I just saw uh, the potential for adapting to Zoom. Uh, my own, a podcast I, I was doing with uh, uh, Erie Diamond called Another Terrible Podcast by Comics. And we would just do it for ourselves and whoever, like 10 listeners or whatever, um, through the last few years, like once every month or so. And I, I could easily see, like, I, we could cultivate a small audience, do this on a weekly basis. Uh, she was down. And, um, and we did that for, for, we, and it worked out. We did that with that show. And then Nina G, my friend, friend yep. Nina G, we made a show on zoom called uh comedian show and tell. It started as a, she started another, she did a show that was a comedians with disabilities act on zoom that did well. Mm -hmm. And then she came up with another idea that just wasn't straightforward stand up Cause she liked doing something different with it. And so we started a show called comedian show and tell where we would invite comics to, do exactly like show and tell like, Hey, this is ice cream. I like it. You know, like whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, those who know I'm, I'm, uh, allergic to milk. This is, uh, this is brave robot animal free dairy this is like vegan ice cream. Oh my goodness. That's and next level shit right there. Dave. Fucking delicious too, because, and here's the thing about it. Cause I'm actually allergic to sodium cassinate. Not, I don't even know so what that is. What is that? Exactly. I, I know what it is. I know, I know it makes me sick and milk and cheese and shit. Okay. And this has a milk protein in it, which kind of concerned me at first, but again, it's vegan. 
So, and everything that fucks me up is from the animal milk. So, um, I got these at grocery outlet. They're like a buck 99. It's fucking great. And, uh, so I tried it. It's delicious. Doesn't make me sick. Fucking love it. Um, Hey, Hey Dave. Yeah. I see your vegan ice cream and I raise you alcoholic kombucha. Oh, look at you. That that's a given. (laughs) It's not, it's not, it's not. So no, I've had, no, it's funny because, um, people in my recovery groups, Anybody who doesn't know. Oh, don't, don't drink this. Yeah, this has alcohol. I'm saying I'm I'm in recovery. Anybody who doesn't know me, they should know I'm in recovery. Yeah. Um, But there's debates over whether kombucha, just regular kombucha, because it has a small, finite, you know, and a non-alcoholic beer level of alcohol in it. Yes. um, Whether or not that constitutes drinking alcohol. And I'm like, no, it doesn't, because I can drink a kombucha and I don't feel the urge to drink. 50 more fucking kombucha to catch a buzz. I drink one and that's it. And I, that, and as an alcoholic and an addict, you can't do that with a beer or, you know, a line or a joint. So I actually have some info inside information on the whole uh, kombucha debate from a whole foods employee. Oh, that's so her. we're about to get really Californian, not just California, but fucking hippie white guy. Kombucha. Yeah. I, I love, I'm actually, I am addicted to kombucha 100%. So this is what, stomach. What's that? Good for your stomach. Supposedly, yeah. I'm, Supposedly, it feels good, man. It feels it good. Feels the good. burps are good, but it does. Um, there are a number of people who have told me that it actually makes their stomach, uh, they get uh, an, uh, acid reflux or something. But um, bitches. And I'll bet it's from something else. Maybe. I, I, I don't even know this. I, I, just, I just can tell from hearing these complaints, man. <laughs> so, I can already tell. So, so here is, all right, here's the scoop from a Whole Foods cashier so you know it's legit oh yeah um so gts that's one of the originators of this whole kombucha movement right um so gts used to have all the same color clear glass bottles um whether there was actually uh trace amounts of alcohol or no trace amounts of alcohol in all of their kombucha and then do you know Lindsay lohan the name the celebrity Lindsay lohan of course so she's an alcoholic also big fan of mean girls yeah. Okay. There we go. Mean Girls. I know she was seventeen in it. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So, no, but you're a fan for the acting. Nothing else. I was a fan of the movie. Yeah. So anyway, he tell. So they changed the labeling at one point, and some of them are kind of clear, and some of them are brown. And he says the brown ones are a Lindsay Lohan effect because she was busted and she took the uh, the breathalyzer when she was oh, driving. Got it. And yeah, she said, no. I hadn't been drinking alcohol, but she said she'd been drinking kombucha. And it forced the hand of GTS to label certain um, versions of their kombucha brown, and you have to be 21 to buy. Now, what I, what I would say, Dave, is this one I'm drinking? Don't drink this one, because you see yeah, the, per- the percentage. Hard kombucha. I know what hard means. <laughs> you don't need me to explain hard? No, man. Okay. I- no. All right. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's why the, there's like this different rules for different types of kombuchas. Uh, but man, it feels drinking kombucha just feels good on the stomach, but I, I think I'm bad, bud. <laughs> for me, but I, you know what? I think, um, I'm addicted to the bubbliness. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. I like. And then the alcohol one has a little sting. Anyway, I drink my, my, I drink my, uh, I don't like LaCroix as much, but I got, this is a Soleil, the LaCroix of Safeway. 
Nice. But I like the bubbly because I love soda. Yeah. But it was killing my teeth. Dude. And because sugar. It's murder. But if I drink, if I drink the bubbly, the bubbly soda water with no sugar, it's the same effect. I just like to burn on my throat, really. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in the same I, boat. Holy shit. Where did that echo come from? No idea. Hold on. Check, check, check. Uh-oh. That was okay. That was weird. The echo is now gone. Uh, I, I went through a LaCroix phase myself yep. and uh, it was a probably good year and a half of just chugging LaCroix. Um, but uh, where the hell was I going with this? I want to point out that you are the defender of the little guy right now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you're going to listen to this in the audio format, you do not see this, but mean Dave has an Ellen DeGeneres background. And I have to say not, not a little guy. what's She's up? Not a little guy. No, she's oh, a little yeah. guy. She needs defending. Yes. Not enough people are coming to the defense of Ellen DeGeneres. Okay. I don't, I don't defend little, you know, I'm not going to say little people. That's going to sound horrible right there. I don't, I'm not some, I don't defend underdogs as a principle. Um, I'm not some uh, uh, contrarian, edgelord, whatever the fuck every single fucking label that they want to throw under whatever i grew up watching ellen DeGeneres. she's a a funny comic who is i remember she you know i was a kid growing up i watched her on doing stand-up and you know and for somebody who really you know uh i don't think i have anything in common i found her funny and um but i didn't like you know wasn't obsessed or anything and she came went on like many comics she had a sitcom whatever then she came out gay and that was like oh cool big you know people are supportive of it and all this mm-hmm. other shit then she got her daytime show and she fucking does her little stupid dances and all that shit and i lost interest because she's now part of mainstream culture and all that shit only reason why i i had a newfound ellen interest is uh, i found out early pandemic she doesn't she's not very nice and that made me oh. fucking love Ellen because people like she she is a highly successful person uh and yeah. any no nobody the people that like you know that are getting on their fucking twitters like, oh she's not doesn't treat these people right it's like yeah no shit you know why because she's fucking Ellen because she earned the ability to be who she is and I don't think she's like you know dropping throwing people in trash cans and dropping bricks you know in in windows or anything i however she treats people she's curt whatever has any you know these i don't know when society especially in this country thought it was it was you know um you know it's important to be polite and respectful and all that stuff doesn't mean you have to be nice uh being nice you know it's not like some I, it's one of those things where I've, 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 I've had this stupid stage name, mean Dave, since the beginning, always, always been a polite person, but people are, well, you don't seem very mean. And it's like, what do you want from just meeting somebody with a stage name? Uh, do you need instant proof, like a fucking idiot? And like, I, just because I'm polite doesn't mean I don't hate your fucking guts. Yeah. Yeah. Like just on principle alone, because you're a human being. And by as soon as they say something like that to me, instantly I know you're an idiot. I don't care how smart you are. I've heard some very smart people be like, well, you don't really seem that mean. Like, <laughs> all right, yeah. Hey, have you ever joined a podcast and the first thing you go, how did you get the name mean? 
I I'll, I gave it to myself. I didn't uh, I didn't like get the name. Like basically, I was called mean uh, after I after I dropped acid and I started realizing how full of shit I was in my own head. And oh, I, interesting. I need I need to start being more truthful in in talking to people because I would I wouldn't say what was really on my mind a lot. Okay. Um, I started doing that, and unfortunately, the outcomes were a lot of people getting hurt feelings. And it wasn't like, and what I didn't realize at the time was that was my defense mechanism because I'm still thinking that like I'm I'm some enlightened person who has these thoughts and all these thoughts just because I think them. Oh, they must be true. So therefore, oh. uh, if I see you as this or I see you as that or whatever, and I say it, then people are like, why why are you being mean? And and you know, I was just being deliberate, really, more than mean. But I felt I was being honest. And not all the time was that honesty mean, but I definitely dwelled more in the negative sides of things. Um, and then, so I heard that a lot uh, after I got in my 20s and 30s. And uh, Wait, when did the acid, when did the acid, when did you come to this conclusion on acid? Was that in your 20s? Well, high school, like later high school. I, I took acid. Oh, like, so you had the ego shattered pretty early in your life then. Yeah, well, it wasn't that early. I know people have done it earlier, but um, I mean, I was like, 15 16 no okay. it's 15 okay. when i really had that epiphany um maybe 16 actually more because i or actually no i was six it was my it was my junior year i was when i was really having those kinds of trips uh okay. where i was really starting to like it was it was a bad time like because it, it was it felt like it was a good time but in the end when i look back on it uh you know i lsd and a high school mind is not a good combination no i agree um, with you and, uh, and I, I, but I, in, but you know, regardless of my life, whatever. Um, but I would say this, I would say this though, every good, bad, or indifferent, every experience you have at different stages in your life is necessary for you to be whatever you are at this particular moment. So, uh, or should they tell you to make you feel good about yourself, but it doesn't, yeah. that doesn't help. I'm just saying more or less, um, that as I got older, the, um, you know, I can, I, <laughs> My dad wasn't a very nice person. Yeah. You know, um, you know, so probably I got a lot of it from there. My mom was very, was too, was very, and still is very Pollyanna. My mom's now actually a little bit more cynical now, which is a wonderful thing. Okay. Um, but she was somebody who was not, you know, some of her advice was not very helpful uh, in, in going forward in life. But I looked at my mom and my stepdad is a lot more people that I related to in kind of my worldview than my dad. Okay. My dad's a very, a very successful person today. My dad, my stepmom, they're, you know, my parents divorced and they remarried successfully when I was young, but they, they had a very bitter divorce when I was young and uh, probably had a bad effect on me, which is why I am the way I am. But, um, but they've more than made up for it. And I never, I don't really hold them, you know, uh, like I don't, I don't hold grudges over the shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but my dad was not a kind person. Right. Um, that isn't to say that he was, that he was cruel. It's just that he, he you know, his upbringing was very, he, he grew up very poor and he was very direct in, in a lot of ways. And, uh, and the worlds that he was moving in were different than mine. So then anyways, when I got, um, what I, as I kind of came to this turn, this realization of like, Oh, honesty is the best policy, being honest, whatever. Yeah. I was kind of a lot being a lot like my dad, just saying what I really thought, which then people were like, wow, you're just being mean. You're just, you're just an asshole. You're just whatever. I'm like, I remember one time at work, I actually really took pride in this. Uh, there was a guy who said something, there was a co a new coworker I had. He was sitting next to me. We're testing, testing games on these uh, old phones 
And uh, and something he said was so dismissive, and it really pissed me off. Just that that dismissive part, like, oh well, you know, hey, all you got, you know, maybe you just need to like. It was just one of those one of these fucking smug piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Parroted lines of advice, and I and I turned to this asshole, and and you know, and I just said, huh. And I don't remember what I said, but whatever I said had that Hannibal Lecter ability to like dig into his brain and make him chew out his own tongue the way that you heard Diggs did in the beginning of Silence of the Lambs, where, like, you don't, you didn't see it. You only heard about it. That was the dude that, like, jerked off and threw the sperm at... at uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they say later that he, they caught Hannibal whispering to Mig. Oh! Mig ended up killing himself. Yes! By chewing and swallowing his Fucking own Fucking mean Dave. You got all the good references. This was this was back in the day where I had a real knack. I don't have it anymore. Uh, it's kind of. I mean, it, it, do you think that's good or bad? Oh, it's good. Uh, trust me, it's a very good thing. Because no, there was. I had a. a I want to say like a real. Um, uh, a, a very. I would indulge a lot in this kind of like you know, negative psychological, <laughs> fucking uh, uh, manipulation of of just like really. And the guy, when he flipped out, he goes, you're just a miserable person and you can't be happy. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Everybody else miserable around you. But but back up, what did you say to the guy? I don't remember. That's what I'm saying. Like, I I, take more pride in this shit. It was just what I said to him. I was being very, what happened was because I found him to be very condescending in what he said to me Uh and because he wasn't offering any helpful advice and he did so with his back, like his, his back half turned to me. And I hate that shit. I'm like, if you don't, don't offer me any like yeah. shallow words of wisdom because it just, all it tells me is you're not listening. You don't care. And I would rather you just be like, huh, that sucks. Like that, that would, that would be fine. But if you're going to sit there and be like, well, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe you should just do it and, and just have this fucking smug, like, because you're, it's, it's the same kind of shit. You want to know what it, it, something similar is when someone dies drives me nuts seeing all the all the especially if it's someone i and i shouldn't that's why i try not to post about dead people or dead animals or whatever because constantly you get notifications of sorry for your loss I'm like you know and i get that you may mean that i've even said it i've done it on posts and whatever but in the end it's like they're just it's just like uh oh i'm you know it's something to just appease your mind in that little fucking moment oh it's a selfish move it, it, yeah, it doesn't really mean much of anything. No, and if you aren't I, cooking I, a casserole, nowadays, if, I just try to click likes or click loves and whatever, and don't say a comment, save them a notification. Um, but that's what this dude was doing. He was basically being passively, passively dismissive and, and patronizing. And I was just like, fuck this. And I just, I, I asked him a few questions. That's why I, I was like, oh, really? Is that what I'm supposed to do? So then if I just do this and whatever, da 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 And I, what I did was just, I, I took his logic at face value, broke it down. And by the time I was done, he knew that I was just being incredibly condescending on on purpose. Mm-hmm. To, and and in, it, it made him flip the fuck out, which was beautiful because I loved seeing people do that in a professional environment. Um, can, and, can I say this? Can I say yeah. this about um, you, the experience you've had? Um, and this is becoming, I think the older I get, the more aware of this is. And I think this is one of the reasons why I really enjoy listening to you on podcasts and I enjoy your, your, uh, your standup too, is because the more, the longer the timeline of me experiencing people, 
I'm very cautious of overly kind people. And especially oh, yeah. people who give the, what you just call it, you called it the uh, patronizing. And I also call sanctimonious. Oh, yeah. I think in the era we live in sanctimony and, um, and, uh, what, what's, what's the word? I, I just forgot the word that we were just talking about the sanctimony and the, um, patronizing tone. It seems yeah. to be the tone. And even in stand-up comedy, the majority of the top players, the guys with shows, the guys doing the critique of the news, they're all sanctimonious, kind of unbearable yeah. people. Like they're trying to be heroes, but nobody's a fucking hero. And I would rather have a guy genuinely give me some raw, uncomfortable yeah. cruelty and yeah. know that that's coming from a genuine place yeah, Don Rickles. False. That's, that's Rickle, Don Rickles. I mean, that was yeah. Pretty, that was all what Rickles' act was. They, you know, people think it, they weren't real insults. It was indulging in sort of the 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 worst the the worst it of our minds of how our minds really work in many respects. That we go to the easy, low hanging fruit of life and all that stuff, but indulging in it through a persona that clearly was was done for comedy. Yeah. It wasn't how he really felt. It wasn't how whatever. It was he was being a he was being the the ridiculous offensive old man to get a rise at and to get yeah. a smile, and and no one was sacred, which was beautiful. Yeah. And and I mean the the things that I, that's what I I and and that's the stuff that I liked or whatever. As far as yeah. you know how I got into so the name basically when I came up with a band, um. Uh, I saw a movie called Mean Frank and Crazy Tony, oh, uh, which familiar. is a, a Lee Van Cleef movie. I love Lee okay. Van Cleef. He's the uh, the bad and the good, the bad and the ugly. And okay, uh, and he's he's known mainly for westerns, but he's also he's he's a great actor. Like in terms of being one of the cool classic uh, stoic actors throughout his life, and he did some Italian movies, and this was one of them. And it's not a very good movie. It's like an action comedy movie, but. Hmm. Um, I uh, when I was coming up with band names, my drummer was Eric. Is uh, was Eric? He's he's Eric Newton actually. Now he does. He calls himself a comedian, but I keep telling. Oh, him. Oh, I know Eric. I was you know, on Eric, uh, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. Cool, very cool dude. One yeah. good dude. Yeah. Hobby comedian, but I I, yeah. I always I get upset whenever I see his posts where he's like hashtag comedian. I'm like, you quit the band because you hated comedians, you dumb motherfucker. <laughs> He's so sweet um, I, though. I, he's I, the sweetest I, guy from what I, I know. always rip on him for that. Yeah, he's he's a sweetheart. He's one of my one of my good friends. Yeah. Um, but uh, but he shouldn't have quit the band. That's first and foremost. Um, but shame the, on uh, you, Eric. Yeah, exactly. No, he knows. He knows. We we were funnier people when we had the band. It was so stupid. Um, but uh, but no. So when I came up with the the idea for this band and and was trying to come up with band names. The, the name, I always come up with alter ego names. Okay. And I thought Mean Dave and Crazy Eric. It's the same uh, syllable rhythm. And so I was like, that'll be our names in the band. And then uh, I came up with the band name Bad Touch, which uh, at the time no one had. And then after we came up with it, like a, a, like 10 other Bad Touches popped up on MySpace or whatever. But um, and uh, but we, we uh, so yeah, we were Mean Dave, Crazy Eric, Bad Touch. And we had a cool little uh, insult comic rock band for a while. And I just, so I just, I I would play the character, this character of Mean Day was obnoxious, talks too much, uh, you know, try is condescending to music audiences. Uh, it was inspired by Triumph, the insult comic dog and Don Rickles, but I'm not like this insult guy as yeah. much as what the character was, was more kind of what kind of, it was an exaggeration of what I'm doing right now. Yeah. I'm talking a lot. 
being, you know, being uh, unintentionally rude, but doing, but, but knowingly doing so. So like, and knowing because the music audiences were fucking awful. I love going to see bands and I hated music audiences more than ever. And so I wanted a band that sort of like satirized all that anticipating because audience, all music audiences are is a room full of hecklers. Like when, in terms of comedy, like that, all they do is they, yeah, they think they're funny. They're all like, you know, play some Skinner, play. and nothing kills me more than when an audience fucking says something. And then the, the rest of the audience laughs because it's the dumbest shit. Like it's always the, the stupidest and they're all drunk and they're all yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's bands that have good banner. There's not many, but most bands have bad banner. I hated bands that were good that had no oh. banter or would take long pauses between songs and like have nothing to offer. Cause it's like, this yeah. is a show either keep a tight ship and get from the next song to the next song okay. or, or say something, have something to kind of like, you know, riff on or whatever. And, um, so uh and I liked some bands that were doing that at the time. So I, I want I came with this band that was basically gonna be have I was gonna I told Eric, I'm like, there's gonna be an element, a big element of stand-up comedy to this band. I've always been heavily inspired by stand-up comedy, but more so at this time that I was coming up with this band. And because this way I would be able to like express a lot of my disdain for music audiences and then also have the band, which had some good songs that were not they were the songs weren't funny they were meant to be rocking and heavy but they had some tongue-in-cheek lyrics and um and the band went over well and would have probably done well had i been in a better state of mind mm-hmm. uh in life and wasn't uh you know because i wasn't really i was on drugs and not doing too well and um my drummer had a shitty girlfriend who wasn't very supportive uh so so we so yeah so that band lasted for like about four years and um yeah it was like four years mm-hmm. and I got into stand-up comedy in 2010 to help promote the band. And I kept the name, Mean Dave. Uh, so then- let me, I, before we move on, I want to I pull something out of that last uh, stuff you were just saying there because you talked about audiences. Yeah. And I want to get your opinion because there are days where I feel like I, I really genuinely love audiences. And then there's other days where I want the audience, I, I just want to, I want them to melt. I want, you know, you posted the scene one time of Sarah Connor on the chain leak fence and then it's like, poof. And then she's just like va- va- vaporizing. Sometimes I just want to destroy and, and melt audiences because I feel like I feel more adversarial than um, like yeah. an entertainer. What is your relationship to audiences in general? Does it change? Do you have a set view of audiences? Uh, Comedy is a pandering medium. I don't even care if you are one of those, uh, you know, doing a Bill Hicks type, like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and do some fucking whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, you can't, it, it, it's pointless unless you have an audience um, and you would like to connect with them. Even when you act like you don't, um, the, the point is connection. Um, comedy's taught me more because I, 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 when I got in that band, I realized I was less of a musician and more of an entertainer. And then after I got into comedy, I was probably, I, I feel like I had a happy Gilmore transition into comedy the way that he went from thinking he was a hockey player to becoming a golfer. Yeah. And, and it's just because I love stand-up comedy, but I never wanted to do it. I, I always thought it was like, not something that, because I, I, I thought it was cool because it wasn't cool. And then that's, that's the thing that I don't buy about comedy today. I don't like the cool, attractive 
comedians. I'm friends with some, but I'm like, and, and I, I have nothing but respect for them, but I'm not into this lit as fuck stand-up comedy bullshit. Um, I can't wait till all those fuckers get old. Uh, <laughs> old man. So I got into this to be an old comic. Cause like, yeah. I, I like, that's why I like the older guys. A lot of, I, you know, one of my favorite comedians uh, locally is Larry Bubbles Brown. He's yeah, yeah, of course. Comic. We all love Larry. Yeah, and he's funnier than he's funnier than so many people. And, yeah. Yeah, and what's funny is kids love him. Like young, not, I mean, young adults love him. Teenagers will hear his comedy and they get it. And like, and he doesn't even know that that's, 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 you know, that, that he has that appeal. And yet one of the things I love that's refreshing about it, he's, he's himself. He's not, you know, he's yeah. not he's not trying to find some angle to constantly pimp himself. If he did, he might be more successful, but he wouldn't be himself. You know, and a lot of the best comics that I've always loved have been the, their, their acts were exaggerations of, of who they were as people, not this construct to try and uh, to try and come up with the, the most hip up to date pandering archetype of yourself, some some representative of yourself to constantly side, you know, try and sidestep all of these minefields to be on the right side of comedy history that you're not going to be a part of, son, because you're a fucking sandcastle. Yeah. So the it, oh, it, you weren't even recording this entire time, were you? No, I am. I have it on OBS, but I I forgot to hit record on on. But it's okay. I have it. I have it. Um, oh, you? you know what? I so I'm so glad you said sandcastle. Oh yeah. man, me and Dave. That's so Hendrix song, man. Castles made of sand. Well, so sea. I think that I think that humor is if it's like ephemeral. What's the word? Ephemeral? It's it's this gas cloud that just comes and goes and you don't know if you're in it, you don't know if you're out of yeah, it. It's the time. Huh? It's, it's a medium of, it's a medium that's built made of the time. Yeah. So it's like and that's one of the one of the biggest drawbacks, I think, to today's comedy is it doesn't respect history of comedy. I think most mm-hmm. I think there's there's a need to always break away from previous things. That's that's a given to evolve. But I've I've found that previous generations of like solid comics had some level of respect for what came before them. Yeah. And I don't find that to be the case with a lot of today's medium where they they mostly will do more to try and like they'll watch stuff from the eighties, from the nineties and be like, Yeah, I just don't think it's funny. And it's like, yeah, no shit, because you were born in fucking two thousand, dickhead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Why would you think it's funny? But, but can you figure out why it was funny then? Do you have that ability, the abstract capability to maybe kind of put yourself in someone else? I, I'll be perfectly honest. I watched Richard Pryor forever. I've never found him to be that funny to me, but I get why he's funny because the dude was open and was an open book of all of his fucking experiences. And, and he was compelling to, to listen to in that regard. Does it mean I want to watch his specials over and over again? No, because I didn't grow up during that time when we didn't have that shit. Yeah. I grew up when Bill Cosby was around and I liked Bill Cosby himself. Granted, it was before I knew about all the all the bad shit. Sure. But, um, but and he was a big influence on Richard Pryor. So yeah. there's the, the fact that like people people don't know like the comedy history as well and yet they want to be comedians and then they also don't even do the research to know that this is a business that's littered in like misery like the the there's no like the 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 chances of success at the level that you want that you that makes it attractive for you to do are so fucking slim it's like everybody you know everybody basically is like playing pickup baseball thinking they're going to get into the major leagues and it's like no motherfucker 
You better you you the, your best chance is to get a good softball team that you enjoy hanging out with on yeah. Sundays because that's as good as it's going to get. Yeah. And you might and and embrace that shit. Yes. And make it make it the best you best softball team you can. That's you know nothing wrong with that. I I so I was going to touch on this in the podcast. So one of the things is I I look towards mo- most of so we can talk about this too, but let's put it on the side. For me, social media is is pretty much just trash. Um, I don't most posts I don't look at. I do look at some of your posts because I think you um, drop you drop some little nuggets of wisdom um, that I I really enjoy. So can I, I I'm gonna read back one of your posts and then let's let's really hash it out because you're canceling, I, you're canceling me, Matt. No 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 no. I'm not. Nah, well, come on. <laughs> I I we could talk about canceling too because I got some opinions on that. But let me read um let me read something to you. Going into stand up to be famous is like working at Taco Bell to be a chef, but Taco Bell will pay better. I I might have butchered that, but you you posted that up a couple weeks back. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that because here's why. And this is this is purely I admit because this is this is because of um number 1 my age and number 2 because I realize I'm we'll throw this word out. I'm privileged actually have another component to my life other than comedy. But I look at stand-up comedy as like, you better fucking love the process of sitting in your notebook and trying to think about what's funny to you. And you better love the process of getting on stage and seeing if other people think what you think is funny also find funny. Because yeah. there's nothing else in comedy. People think or, I mean, there's I mean, nothing probably- else, right? process can be even different i i don't really you don't even have to love it it's as much as just accept what it is like is that i think that's the thing is a lot of people got there's there's people that i've i've seen that do this that i know enjoy it you know at uh i would say the open mic level which is totally fine and okay but they have a lot of opinions on it beyond the open mic level and i'm like well uh and I know, I know that feeling. Cause I, I know when I was there, it's like, uh, you know, cause I, I, I don't look at my level, my level of what I do is really like, uh, I would say like, I'm, I'm basically a, a DIY band, a do it yourself band, um, that has some, some ability to like transcend from the bottom of the open mic barrel to like, the uh some reasonable level of um of credibility based on you know getting getting past a punchline and being able to work some some professional gigs and whatnot i don't have any uh mainstream television credits i don't have i've never really pursued that route um i don't have i i haven't aggressively tried to to appear in you know the game show appearances of america's got talent or any of those things um not because i don't think it's a good idea as much as i just don't see what i what my my favorite comedy were comics that ended up uh they i mean they were all my favorite comics as a kid were bill cosby who's obviously you know was one of the icons prior to his bullshit um bobcat goldthwaite who was essentially one of the the big acts at the time in the 80s 
into the 90s, he started kind of like almost was like a, a forefather to like the old comedy scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he kind of vanished. And then he got into more directing and behind yeah. the scenes stuff. And that because that whole thing was an act and a character that he was yeah. doing, but it wasn't quite gelling. But he also he was always making movies since uh, ever since Shakes the Clown, which I just watched last night and I still love it. Um, you watch Shakes the Clown, you'll see tons of or like you'll see at least five successful strongly successful actors in that movie that were in Shakes the Clown that, you know, uh, and, and Bobcat's a dude who just, you know, he, he works, he's always working, but he's, he's working to pay his alimony and he likes making, uh, low budget movies today. And, and they're all excellent too. Like, you know, some are better than others, but he, I, I found him to be always be a, a, a solid talent. And, and he always kind of down the cool thing about him today is he actually lives with a comic who's from the Bay area, Caitlin Gill. Mm. Um, and, uh, and he, he gets to perform now at a lot of these, these newer shows and he's an older dude, but he, he was always part of like the experimental side of comedy back in the, in the eighties when he was starting in the late seventies and eighties, he was one of the guys that was like to experiment a lot. So he gets to now go be a part of these kind of alt comedy things today and he's kind of relatively unknown to the to young people, and he gets uh, to experiment all over again. He's very, he's 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 just I, you know, and I hear he's pretty cool from people that know him. I'm hoping to meet him someday. Um, and uh, and then my other favorite comic was Dennis Miller back when he was still funny. And I, he's funny today too, but it's but his his politics get too meshed in it. But it's like you gotta like put aside that shit, and he still's got some. He still has some real funny. Uh, he's a smart dude as for all of his bullshit that you may not agree with. He is still a smart guy. And, um, the way he puts together sentences is very, it's almost, he's, he's using vocabulary. That's too smart for most audiences. No, that was kind of his thing back then. I I really just liked his delivery. I, the the fact was, is I was a kid. I didn't understand half of what he said. It was all his, it was all in his sarcastic delivery and he owned that shit. And, because uh, I memorized Dennis Miller's Black and White, half the references I didn't even understand. It was okay. just the way he delivered it yeah. that that really stuck with me. And then, uh, and I still followed him up until nine eleven. And then after nine eleven, when he was calling for the Middle East to be nuked, that was when I was kind of like, "All right, I think I'm losing losing a little touch here with Dennis Miller." Got it. And he um, and he's gone to be. You don't you like, don't like nukes? No, it's not that I don't like nukes. I just don't. I don't like. Uh, I don't like easy answers to to problems that I don't to, that I think are way more complex than than uh, than we than we're given than we're than the information we're given by news and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, you know, immediate reactions that you know bring a lot more questions and shit. And, yeah yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just I just don't get caught up in all that stuff. And he was he. The trouble is, is he's he is a very intelligent comedian. Yeah. And yet. Uh, it was, it was though, then he started throwing his principles and uh, his political principles into it, which then it was like, Oh, now you're just going to choose to be funny for this, for a side. And, uh, uh, and he's kind of going back into some gray area with that, but yeah. it's, you know, I, I just, and it's it, because I don't care if I, I like Nick DiPaolo, his politics completely are not in line with mine, but he's still, he, if I watch his standup act, I, he makes me laugh, even though I don't agree with them. And that's kind of, it's kind of what I really uh, I miss about comedy was that it was insightful to like things without really uh, without me, this identity politics. I I want to I want to get your I want to dive into that a little deeper. So I have an opinion on something yeah. uh, about stand up comedy and almost just creating shit. 
all together. So there's this uh, concept in journalism about where a journalist, um, uh, I don't know if it's called ethics or uh, I don't know what you would call it, but supposedly they're not supposed to vote in primaries because they're supposed to maintain their objectivity when it comes to covering um, political, whatever's going on. And for me as a stand-up comic, like just generally in life, I don't carry politics because I find it, I find it boring and I also find it a waste of energy. But mm. I think in stand-up comedy, I want to remain, I, I want to maintain some kind of object, objectivity. So when I write jokes, very rarely do I weigh in on politics. And what I'll say is I get, I really don't laugh at people who are, with, I, I know I'm, I, I'm about to say something that is probably going to alienate 99% of joke writers out there. But I, I just don't see the humor in people uh, uh, subjectively critiquing politics because it depends, it depends on the quality of the person, man. I mean, I, I watched Will Durst, who is a, another local uh, veteran comic who currently is still recuperating from a stroke in the hospital. Um, I've, I've watched his act a few times, and one of the things about him is that he. He's entirely his act is entirely revolved around politics, and yet he has a knack for in, insight and creating humor out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, without knowing full well that yeah, he's you know probably leans liberal and all that shit. But I've watched him perform to you know people with politics that differ from him, mm. all that shit, and and he'll have his convictions. But the fact being that he knows also from just from experience that, you know, there needs to be humor there that they, if a good joke will be undeniable, regardless of what you think. And I mm. think that's, that's really what, um, what I like to aim for more is, uh, I, I, I've been saying this in my act lately of like, I'm actually all for cancel culture because, uh, because it for, especially with comedians, because, uh, it forces comedians to, to work harder and smarter to think of new and innovative ways to offend you without you realizing it. Um, and that's, that's, it's more or less like, and it's not to, you know, the best jokes are the ones where you can, and not, these aren't the best, but I think my, in my material, sometimes my favorite material tends to be when I can make you see my point of view, knowing full well that it's a twisted kind of thing on it and make you laugh, knowing full well that you're going to judge me from it. Mm. Uh, it's, it's what I call, it's kind of like petting the cat backwards and it's not intending to, that's where edgelording, you know, they, the term edgelord is where you're just, you're, you're trying to shock for shock value. I hadn't I'm heard that term shock. until today. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into shocking people. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy some things that are shocking or I enjoy humor that is shocking at times, but it doesn't mean that I like shock, shock humor for shock's sake. No. Uh, especially when it's dumb and, and easy. And what's funny is people more are into shock than they realize. Why did, Will, why did world star hip hop blow up? It wasn't because of people like me. It was because people love shock value videos. So I did YouTube blow up watching people get hit in the balls and shit. That's how America's funniest home videos became a fucking sensation. All right. Made Bob Saget millionaire because average everyday moron human beings like watching people get hurt. That is in and of itself an edgelord principle. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so so people in general for all of their, you know, when it, what is it when we watch uh, when we're when we're on social media and we love a good social media beef that blows up like, oh, there's 300 comments on this shit. Guess what? You're getting into edgelord principles in watching something just be shocking. Just you're just watching the Jerry Springer of, of yeah. our of our souls 
go on on social media. That's it. All this shit's in us. So that's why I love it when, you know, comedians are supposed to be insightful of this shit today. And today they aren't. No. Because they're too busy on their phones. They're too busy trying to pimp talent they don't have. They're too busy trying to trying to get somewhere they don't even, they wouldn't even know what to do with when they got there. And I'm seeing, I love, right now there's a comedian. I'm not going to name his name because he's actually a cool dude. But I also know how, how much, like, He's experiencing some good things and I'm hoping good things come out of it. And I also know he's very earnest in how he pursues things, but I also know that like, wow, I hope he's not biting off more than he can chew. And, uh, because I do know that's, that's primarily, there's so many people, uh, there's a, there's a great meme. There's these two guys that I follow their meme. They're great meme comedians, uh, Mike fellows and Kurt Ryan. They're both on social media. Highly recommend following them. If you like memes, I don't even like memes and I like theirs mm. and Kurt Ryan makes some great ones about stand-up comedy at this level. And one of the things that he, he loves to satirize is how much people will say they have an hour when they don't have five minutes yeah. you know, like, or I can, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm, I've been stand-up for 25 years and they've never been to an open mic, you know, like these morons that think that, that do when stand up, like, oh, oh no, it qualifies just because I've been a public speaker for whatever and this, that, and the oh, other. Oh, that's like, different. Yeah, totally no, different. No, and and uh, and it's not, you know, not no one's trying to. I'm not trying to dismiss your experience. It's just have respect for the medium itself. Um, you know, I've been doing things at my level for you know it'll be 11 years this year. I've uh, been making, been paying my bills with it for five, but I, by no means. Do I really, I still call myself an aspiring comedian. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't tout that level. I'm not proud of that amount of years of it as like, Oh, this is, you know, I'm some fucking been around, but no, I haven't really, there's a lot of things I haven't done with it. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities that I don't know if I'll ever have because the medium is not, I'm, I'm also old. I'm 44, going to be 45. Nice. And- I'm 45. Oh, nice. Cool. We're the same age. I did not. Um, yep. And and there's, I think there's a lot more, uh, you need, you really do need kind of the energy of when you're in your twenties and your thirties to really well, aggressively I, pursue the, the, you know, like trying to, to get to the, to the, the riches of shit. And um, you know, so I, I, there was another post and I didn't write it. Um, I didn't write it word for word, but another post I really enjoyed of yours yeah. Uh, and, and this is gonna, I'm going to bring together multiple things that both we've talked about and then also your post. And then let's just like chew on the concept for a little bit. So you talked about all the people who, you know, in stand up comedy who have killed or mm-hmm. no, who, who you enjoy and they're relatively obscure. Oh now, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, no, I, no, that was one. no, I said that I, I didn't say that I enjoy, I said there, there are a lot of talented professional comics that no one knows uh, nor will ever hear of. Yes. Uh, and I'm here for it. So uh-huh. I, I'm the same way. I, for me, I've always, and I don't know if this is just my mindset, my upbringing, but I've always loved the, um, the real special, I want to say performers, artists who labor in obscurity mm-hmm. and, you know, they're having to do other things to make ends meet. But when you see what they do for their creative outlet, it's just, it's, it's fantastic stuff. And I've always rooted for them for them more than I've rooted for commercial, com, co- commercial, commercially successful creators, whether, whatever, whatever your medium is. And me and my, um, my other friend were just talking about it today. And he had a very interesting, uh, uh, I guess, conclusion 
on creativity. And we were specifically talking about music, but I think you could yeah. apply it to anything. And he was saying, just by the sheer nature of what makes something commercial, commercial means mediocrity because you're creating something that is palatable to the masses. And for well, anything to be palatable to the masses means that they've made um, concessions to be less than they could potentially be. So what I wanted to do is- some, I, What? Some, some do. Now, I, some. I, I don't, I think that's a, that's a generalization of, a, of, a, of, yeah, of consumption, but there's a hand, very, again, very small handful of people that transcend that that statement and their and commercial they, success and their state there they have 100 percent integrity to, be, to their well, I say they're able to still be themselves but there's always a chance they're, they're never it never goes unchallenged um one of my favorite directors who was not my favorite director when i when i when he first came out but over time he's definitely one of my favorites is uh quentin tarantino and and you know because he he w- he became a pop culture phenomenon that defined a lot of you know cool 90s cinema when pulp fiction came out and I remember when I saw Reservoir Dogs uh, before that, I didn't even notice because I was too busy being insecure about my girlfriend at the time. So I wasn't even paying attention to Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Um, when I saw Pulp Fiction, I was like, oh, this is really an incredible movie. It's just different. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. And we watched it, watched it on acid, did all the, you know, 90 stupid things. Yeah. But um, but I st- but again, there was that was a guy who was hitting a nerve with pop culture at the time. And yet something about what he was able to do um, still didn't make it unappealing to me. Um, there's a band, one of my, one of the bands I really like tool. Um, I yeah. still like tool. Um, they, they definitely have fans that annoy the shit out of me. And yet I, I still enjoy their music. Uh, through, I've enjoyed all their albums, some more than others, but, yeah. um, and they're a band that I think uh, sticks to their guns and how they produce stuff. And, in all their meticulous fucking ways and stuff. Plus they're also very cool to one of my, to my favorite band, the Melvins right here. Yep. Uh, they're, they're friends and they've, they've collaborated together. Um, but Tarantino made, here's, here's where Tarantino earned my heartfelt devotion as a fan uh, was with his movie after Pulp Fiction. Cause then he took a long break. Um, you know, he was doing some, making some, you know, bullshit here and there. I think they did from dusk till dawn. You know, he was clearly having fun. I liked his- that one. <laughs> I do too, but I mean, he didn't direct, that was Robert Rodriguez. But, oh, okay. um, I mean, he wrote it, but it was, it was really a script that was meant more for fun and all Got that it. shit. And, uh, but when he did his next movie, everybody was anticipating this next movie because because Pulp Fiction was such a huge hit and, and people are morons. They go back to the cinema after a huge hit, wanting to see the same thing. Like they, they want to see lightning strike twice in the same way. And it's like this dude, I have a feeling this dude ain't going to do that. But I don't know. Next movie that's coming out, it's already being promoted. Jackie Brown, everybody anticipating this his homage to black exploitation and all this other shit. He's got uh he's got what's her name? Uh Pam Greer playing in it, who's been yes. referenced in Reservoir Dogs, but here she is yeah. in the flesh, uh playing this other character based on an Elmore Leonard novel, who had new novels that were popular at the time, uh, really informed a lot of Tarantino's writing style. Um, so here's this movie that's about to come out. And everybody's anticipating it, thinking, you know, it's going to be fucking great. Da, 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 da. And, oh, oh, look at this. They got Smokey in it because Friday was a big hit. I fucking hate Friday. Friday, I will never. Anybody who likes Friday, too, like I can already instantly tell uh, has, you know, just shit taste. Some, you know, and I've, I've had good friends that love Friday. Garbage movie. And Faison Love agrees with me. He played Big Worm. And uh, it's, it's not a good movie. 
And now I'm, that, a, I'm a phase on love fan. I like that guy. Yeah, a lot. I, I hated the way it depicted stoners at the time. And Smokey was the key character, Chris Tucker. I never liked Chris Tucker. Um, he's only been good in like a couple movies, Jackie Brown being one of them. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. So I'm not, so when I'm waiting to get in, go see it on the opening day, I'm in line, people even like, I could hear people in line like, yeah, man, I can't wait to see Smokey in this shit, which is pissing me off. And uh, so we go in. (laughs) I love that. The other thing I love about it, Tarantino hired, uh, not only, I mean, Robert Forster, never heard of him, but I see he's in one of the main roles. Um, But then Michael Keaton, who was not cool at that time, was Michael Keaton was- He's always been cool. When was he not cool? Uh, there was a point in the 90s where after Batman and Batman Returns, Michael Keaton kind of was a little like Hollywood kind of leaned away. From oh, Hollywood. Hollywood. Hollywood OK. Was, yeah, yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Like the way Hollywood acts and, and not audiences, too. Like there, there's a reason why like Travolta worked so hard or like why he hit so hard with Pulp Fiction, because everybody was conditioned to look at Travolta as like, oh yeah, he was a cool actor in the seventies, but now he just does these look who's talking movies. Yeah, yeah. He just, yeah, he sucks. He was primed, ready to be seen in a different light. And we saw him in Pulp Fiction and it was, it was fucking over and he was doing what he could always do dance. Um, And then, so then Pulp Fiction or the uh, Jackie Brown's coming out so now, and he's got Chris Tucker, who's right now, and uh, who at that time was an A-list star. They were yeah, doing oh, he was big time. Big time. So, I, I wouldn't say it was a great time, but I'm saying he was an A-list. It was a great time for him. No, so big time. Yeah, movies, he was a big time guy. And movie starts, and you got the first, you get you get uh, the opening sequence, you know, with all the, the fucking bail bond shit and whatever. And then, what's his name? Samuel L. Jackson goes to pick up. Chris Tucker and you see Chris Tucker and people were literally like, Oh yeah, hell yeah. Like in the theater, it's packed theater. And, uh, and so, and, and got to admit, he made me laugh. He was kind of doing a character that was very much himself, but he made me laugh. He was, he was, it, it fit. I was like, he's playing, it was good playing this fucking, this weaselly character Beaumont. Yeah. And, uh, and then t- uh, Sam Jackson invites him to go help him with these Koreans or whatever, gets him into the trunk of his car and he goes driving around and I was, I remember just like, I, I was fucking loving this because I'm like, Sam Jackson's going to kill Smokey. He's going to fucking kill him in the first act of the movie. Like before yeah. the first, actually first act ain't even over. Yeah. He, Smokey is going to be dead yeah. in, in, in five minutes. And I, and you know what? I, I got, I got a sense about this Tarantino guy. He ain't coming back like Travolta did. <laughs> he's gonna, once he's dead, he's gone. Yeah. And sure as shit. He fucking puts two fucking shots in him. Yeah. You know, hey man, what the fuck is with the gun? Fucking puts two shots yeah. in him. End of Smokey. Heard the audience, a gasp in the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the last you saw him. And he was referred to in the rest of the movie with, about what Beaumont, and you knew exactly what he was talking about, but you never saw him in the rest of the movie. Yeah. And I fucking love Tarantino for that. And it was a great movie in addition to that. Um, it was a different movie. It was a movie about getting old. And yeah. uh, he made a very mature movie for a young man. And people weren't ready for that. And he made that movie for black audiences. He didn't make that for white audiences. It was like, if white audiences want to go see it and enjoy it, good. But it was for black folks. And black folks totally got that. Yeah. And I mean, the ones that, you know, enjoy them. Yeah. And, um, but I, I will tell you, it was a real, I love that movie. It's still one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's probably, yeah, I think it is my favorite movie out of his, out of his, uh, you know, his kind of his filmography. But, um, and it's for that reason. It's not, and he didn't do that on purpose, like, to, to fuck with you or whatever. He did it to serve the story. 
Yeah. And that's, that was an artist's choice. And those, that's what I mean. Like there's guys that can do pop culture shit that appeal to a lot of people and still make those choices. And I think it just depends on, it, it really just varies. There's no, there's no real rule or method or whatever. Yeah. Um, again, like my friend who's, who's kind of getting some notice and all that, that his attention is completely arbitrary. It's based on algorithms and whatever else there's, there's just as many people that I'd be like, this could happen. This, this should by all rights happen to some other people that I think are funnier Yeah. happening to them. So, and, and, you know, and uh, that's kind of the nature of things, you know, it is the nature of things and it's going to get worse because I don't think it'll get worse. Well, I think what's going on is so many people now we've almost, um, we've gotten to a point where so many people are thinking that fame is the end game that there's people who wouldn't even call themselves comedians, but they're out there on social media trying to, I don't know, get some kind of recognition or something through it. So what yeah, I'm trying I'm to say, drummer, Eric, yeah, he's one of them. <laughs> no, we'll leave. Hey, you know what? The last time, the last time there, there was call outs in a podcast with me and you, it started some uh, social media stuff. Who was that with? Sean? <laughs> no, I don't want to. We're not going there. I'm going to take another turn. Okay. So you made another post. You made another post, which I really liked. You, you said, miserable people hate coming to America too, while content people are giving it a thumbs up. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Now, here's what I'll say. I, I think, and again, this is, this is in line with my social media commentary, where I think for some reason, people feel like their cynical, shitty opinion is somehow needed on the internet. When yeah. overwhelmingly, I think that people who are kind of just like they're doing their thing in life, they mm. go and they absorb a movie or they watch a comedian. They're like, yeah, that was good. And they don't think too much about it. But miserable people, they're like, oh, this is. And then they write, got to write their dissertation about why something sucks. And then a person as just a person bumping through life reads this and be like, I don't I don't get it. I watched that movie. Now, I haven't watched Coming to America 2 yet. But mm. I imagine I'll enjoy it. I'm a fan of Eddie Murphy. I'm a fan of the Arsenio Hall. I'm a fan of the original movie. So I'm sure no matter, it's not going to be the same thing, but I'm sure I'll enjoy it. But I think we have this undercurrent in society where people feel like they, who are miserable, miserable people. And this goes hand in hand with cancel culture, where I think mm. they just feel like, oh, I got to shit on things in social media now. Yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of what, I mean, that's, I mean, there's a, there's an art form to shitting on things. Yeah. Um, but as far as, uh, as far as like <laughs> an art form to poop, <laughs> very much so. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, as far as roasting, but, um, no, it, there's a, the, the movie, the social network, which I love. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite Fincher movies in the very, or not the line by the girl, uh, uh, Rooney, Rooney Mara, um, who was the girl that like had the bad date with Zuckerberg in the beginning that then she says the line it, later on when he encounters her uh, after his, after his, uh, his little, uh, what do you call it? Groupie blowjob um, with his buddy. Uh, he sees her in a restaurant uh, in the restaurant that they're at with, um, with a table full of friends. And he tries to talk to her to try Cause he, the whole running theme of the movie is that this this uh, the creation of this social network was done out of resentment um, to 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 get the attention or to just sort of spite um, this this woman calling him out on his bullshit in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, that's that's just that's the the narrative for the movie. That's not really you know Mark Zuckerberg's a human being of 
you know, very robotic proportions. I don't think he has the capability to be as interesting as Jesse Eisenberg's depiction of him. Mm. But, um, but he, he ends up uh, encountering her and she, she says, uh, you do what people do. You do, you wrote, you write words uh, from, you write angry words in the dark, which is like from what people like, which is what people do these days. Uh, and, and that's essentially what, at what the culture is absorbed in on their phone, yeah. on their laptops. Um, it's what Reddit, the four chans and eight chans and, and then essentially social, you know, uh, uh, Twitter to, to yeah. Facebook, Instagram, at least is pictures. Uh, but when it's pictures of your fucking posts, it's right back there. Um, and it just, it just, uh, it becomes a, a toilet of, of what I would say is people's, uh, pers- their own dissatisfactions projected onto the world. Yes. Uh, oh, me and Dave, I that's predict- the most quotable. It, wait, say that one more time. Say that one more but time. It's just a projection of people's dissatisfactions with themselves and whatever onto the world. It's no, and that's that's that comes not from even social media for me. I, when I was doing drugs and I was drinking, um, primary, and and I see people like this all the time. Half of them are com- or want to be comedians, uh, where they they want to project this this insightful critique of of the world and of people and whatever. And the fact is, a lot of a lot of times, it's like you're just dissatisfied with you know you're kind of your station and things mm-hmm. but you're not willing to do anything about it you, you know and the drinking and, mm-hmm. and the getting mm-hmm. high makes sense at the time because you're just like yeah fuck it everything's fucked so just you know whatever and then but then you're just getting high and you're drinking you're just bitching and complaining all the time and it's like wow if you really if you really had this this conviction you would do something about it right you you know if you were it's, I have a friend who just relapsed recently, a very good friend, and luckily she lived, um, and she's back in recovery and, okay. and um, is, is, good, you know, good, good. is doing okay. But one of the things I, when she told me she relapsed, I knew that she was headed there because she was incredibly, she, she was just posting constantly about politics and the dissatisfaction oh. of, of, of people look, seeing Biden as some kind of savior in the, in the wake of Trump. And I, and I was, and all I kept seeing, I kept telling her, I was like, you know, or I kept commenting like, yeah, what step is this? You know, whatever. And it's not like she was wrong, but I just would see these paragraphs constantly and, and, or just a lot of it, it it would just consumed her. And I, I would, you know, I'd talk with her here and there, but I just got a sense that like a lot of that, a lot of her it's not to say that she was right or wrong about anything she had to say about Biden or that it was just too much energy, too much effort. It was all that focus on on it as opposed to which again, like we as addicts and alcoholics, uh, what we do is daily maintenance. Um, you know, like today I still, I'm doing a 90 meetings in 90 days. I'm about to go jump on a zoom meeting later tonight for you. Um, I've been kind of reaffirming myself in that. Um, and you know, every morning I text people, some literature. I, there's things that I do to stay in tune with my recovery every day. I'm having kind of a little bit of a weird time. My ears clogged somehow, and I don't even know why. And it's really annoying and frustrating me. And it's hard not to mess with my ear. Oh, I just no. went to go. Uh, I, I was I killed some time at Streetlight Records yesterday in oh, San sweet. Jose yeah, and yeah. bought some CDs. And one of the CDs was a box was this box set that uh, was used. I didn't know it was used. 
and I was ripping them. And then the rip got kind of weird with me or my, my laptop got weird with me. And I noticed that the CD had some, a couple scratches on it, uh-huh. but I didn't know if they were like ones to completely fuck it up. Oh. And so then I waited and then I, I tried it again and ended up ripping the songs. I listened to them. They were fine, but I still, part of me wanted to like go back and return it and say that it was skipping it. And whatever. these are addict brain problems. These are the yeah. things that my addict, and these are things that normal regular people do too, but I'm saying this is how the addict brain works. My obsessiveness will drive me to do some things that nobody else would. Like people would look at that and be like, Oh, it's fine. Just a couple scratches. Yeah. Yeah, been, yeah. You know, whereas me, I'm like, no, nah, man, I, I want to, I this, you know, I want to manipulate and do all this other shit. So anyway, she relapsed and I was telling her that all of this, uh, focus on, uh, on like just this Uber focus on Biden just told me that she was kind of like not paying attention to, uh, to, the maintenance she needed to do to kind yeah. of uh, just, and I saw it on, I was seeing it all on social media. And so there's anytime I see like a long outpouring, there's so many people that got para They're like regular paragraph writers. And I'm like, you know, write a book motherfucker. If you yes. got that much to say. So, you, you know, know what I was going to say about that is I, uh, I, I think I'm grateful in a way. Cause I, I, I feel I was a little bit inoculated from social media and the effects of social media because I've been just, as a hobby, I do it for, I'm in computing for a career and I've been into computers since like 89. I got my first, my uncle gave me my first computer in 89. So I've been on bulletin boards and forums yeah. before there was social media. And I always saw a, um, a split personality of what a person's persona online was and what a person's persona in life was. Night and day. It's yeah. night and day. And, and so this is why I think some of your, um, your, a lot of your posting tracks through because you do come off genuine in your, your there's, there's co- it's coherent between how you are in life and how you are in your postings. But what I would say is I agree with you 100% because what people don't understand is right now the state of social media is if you're putting a lot of effort into writing things in social media, you're, you're basically, you're whoring for Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg is the biggest pimp in the history of pimping. And our data and our- They're gathering, all of that shit is gathering- all that information about all of us. Yes. Uh, I mean, so it, now he knows, he knows how was, to sell to you. And he knows. It's, it's Homeland Security's giant intelligence database mm-hmm. that we bring, that we volunteer. We volunteer yeah, you know, like whores. We're walking the yeah, street they, with our ideas. Early, yeah. One of the early uh, venture capitalists that, that uh, put money into was Incutel, which is a CIA. Yeah. Um, 100%. Or CIA uh, venture capital firm, and and the but irony it, is, I am streaming to Facebook Live. Oh right yeah, now. no, we. I do. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about it is, I knew social media was all bad since MySpace. Yeah, uh, I knew it was all bad for me since then. Yeah, um, I've since come only around to using it as a tool for both. That that both it, it somewhat helps me promote. Yes, I, we I have actually, to. You have to. I've, I've grown to embrace the use of it. Yes, you have um, to. I, my least favorite is Twitter. Um, but even yeah. Twitter, I, I'm have, not on Twitter. I, I enjoy I enjoy Twitter for it, the fact that it's it's where I'm ignored most. Yeah. So I, I have a little more fun. I can say, you know, and yeah. no one's going to cancel. No one cancels what they don't give a fuck about. It's like, what, what oh, does somebody true. take away from me? And um and and even and I don't even tweet that type of shit. Like my, yeah. my most offensive tweets are buried amidst amongst uh, my Gilmore Girls live tweeting that I did years ago, and I can't even I can't even scroll back without my phone crashing uh, trying to get that far. <laughs> but um, 
but no, and, and if you ever pop, someone will do that scroll though. I mean, if you ever pop in a commercial success, the thing to tie it into what you, I know you wanted to say some things about cancel culture. And I think the thing that, that ultimately what it ties into is, is that cancel culture itself is a, is a huge overcompensation for, uh, I want to say a level of cultural guilt that exists, uh, at its, at our core that we, that we don't want to acknowledge. And that's why, that's why, People take on the whole social justice warrior mantle and, uh, and are aggressively anti that too. Like they, they want they, it's these two extremes. When it's yeah. like the fact is, is I, I think the they that and again these these social medias are reflective of our our minds in in a in a state of you know some people can do it in much more self uh, self aware manners or self-aware even and then uh, some people just do it naked id yes and uh, those are my favorites even though i i don't i you know i feel bad for i see you go after those people the only threads i I really enjoy is when you you recognize things for what they are and i don't want to use the word virtue signaling because it's more nuanced than that but when you see someone signaling long before they had a term for it (laughs) i was scrolling long before there was a term for but once there's a term for something I don't, I don't like it anymore. I don't, I really yeah. don't. And, and that's, you know, like, again, I do enjoy a good shocking joke and all that kind of shit. But then when they start labeling you an edge Lord, it's like, Oh, well, fine. I'll come up with some good material about my mom, some good whole, whole right. wholesome dinner jokes, you know? Yeah. Um, but whatever the, the fact being that like, I don't like, I think that's the thing about uh, the current culture and what, what young people more today are so eager to do, which is, like they, they want to carve out this identity for themselves by completely shitting on anything yeah. that is just a few years older than them yet completely leads into everything that they're doing. So it's like, yeah. like, okay, right now, you know, kids were all jumping on TikTok, All right. And then the young adults, the, 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 the get the Gen Z's and then the millennials are jumping on TikTok, and boomers are going to be going on TikTok any day now, if they, once they figure it all out. And, uh, but the fact is TikTok is just is is no different except with just like a few more probably better tools and all that stuff than your classic what was it the or the all those fucking video uh vine there was yeah. vine there was periscope uh, you know, i mean you can do videos on fucking on yeah. on instagram there's videos on all this shit twitter now has stories they call them i feel what they call them fleets or whatever Ugh. but it's like you're all just doing you're adding features to just make yourselves appear like do the same shit yeah. And, and it's, it's, in, it's incredibly like, that's why I, I cracked up when we went from MySpace to Facebook, because all Facebook was, was MySpace with a guard fence around your profile so yeah. that you could feel like, well, I'm giving you permission. Yeah. That's what the movie says. It's the illusion of exclusivity. Yep. When the fact is no one's, no one's exclusive to your bullshit. Oh, and now you got a limit too. You can only have 5,000 friends. What if yeah. uh, start a fan page? If you, if you got more than yeah. that shit. And it's, and it's such horseshit. And, uh, and, but again, what, what Facebook then in the long run has really done well and what it was, I believe calculatingly uh, what a goal was, was to create a database of a willful database of people's information that, that any, not, I mean, not so much intelligence agencies now. uh, No, it's marketers. It's mostly marketers. Exactly. It's to sell your information. Because in the end, it's the bottom line, the almighty dollar that fucking, that that means all this shit. Or that what all this shit is is about. And um, so it's, it's, you know, so then that's, that's kind of where I've, I just sort of like, you know, I've, I've come to this point where 
I don't even look at it as like an evil as much. I mean, there's a lot of necessary evils in the world. And, and this is not, I, I am grateful for what positives that social media has brought in terms of staying connected with some people that I, I don't think I otherwise would be that connected to. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think, I think for booking shows and podcasts, it's great, plus, but it's you should leave way. it at that. <laughs> you know, well, it's the only way. I mean, Faco was our comedian. Faco. Oh, I love Faco. To yeah. this day. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, Faco, you'd be a booked regular at all the fucking yeah, local shows. Yeah. You just made a Facebook profile, but if he's happy, he's being, happy. If he's happy, the funny thing is, I know he's happy being him, but yes. he always has this weird, he always throws shade my way, even though he's cool. He's cool to me, but he always has, it's an old Latino thing of some kind of, of oh, really? Of whatever. Like thinking that that I think I'm some big shot or some shit. And I'm like, uh, no, no, I, 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 he reminds me of like one of my stupid cousins. Oh, okay. And, um, in that regard, but he's, you know, cool dude. But I just, yeah. I've always told him, I'm like, if you just made, you don't need to make one to interact with people. You just need to make one so that people know where to contact you. So there are people that want to book you. And when they ask me for your number, I'm not going to give it to them. So on he, principle alone. Yeah. He has a Twitter account. Uh, it's Faco. And no, I know. And I, so I that's know. what he always I, says, I, but he is, um, so I, follow him on Twitter. Yeah. I, I, um, I, so I'm a, I'm a huge I'm in one of those weird uh, spaces with Faco in that I'm a huge fan. Like he inspired, like I literally genuinely laugh almost every set he does. But then he's yeah. also my buddy. Cause we, we go to sets, to, we, we drive to yeah. open mics yeah, together yeah. and everything. So um, he's one of those guys like, man, I love that guy so much. He doesn't even know how much I love him. And, and I do look at him and I go, why doesn't everyone in America know about this fucking guy? But see, that's the thing I need to get out of this mindset. <laughs> yeah, he won't, let, he won't him. let him. And here's another thing, and this is also a function of age. I, I don't actually. You know what? I I that I I totally understand that. There's yeah. something there. I I I give him a lot of credit for sticking to that principle. Like, because yeah. I was I was no Facebook for a year when I first started. Yeah. And um, the only reason I created it was because I was starting to do an FCC free radio show, uh, which is internet radio podcast. And they required that you made a Facebook page. And yeah. so, I, and, and so I was like, all right, well, I got to make a profile then to make a page. I knew I was well aware of, of, of it. I worked for Zynga for a couple of years. We had to make uh, fake profiles all the time to play the games uh, yeah. for the social media games. Yeah. And, um, and I, I had to make some fake female profiles. So I had like one picture and, uh, and it, dude, it is horrible being a female on social media, man. You, I had one picture, clearly a fake profile and I would get messages from dudes like, Hey, what's up, girl? What's oh. up? Oh, don't be a bitch. You know, just, shit oh like that. man, constantly just it, 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 men are, men are fucking disgusting. Yeah. And, uh, well, especially like we talked about when your online persona is not who you are, you're even yeah. more disgusting. Yeah. Well, I mean, and so, uh, but yeah, with Faco, the way Faco does things, uh, you know, it's, that's cool. I was, I was just telling him, it's like, if you want to do more comedy, but he, he, you know, cause he, he'll, I remember one of the things, uh, he was giving me shit for about like booking me on one of his shows. He's like, well, I don't see you at the open mics, Dave. And I'm like, yeah, it's cause I'm too busy, you know, doing shows that aren't open mics motherfucker and you would be too i don't say that to praise him there but no just, and, uh, <laughs> no he, he would be incredibly he and not only that he's one of those dudes that likes to always be on when he's like he doesn't do it now anymore because he knows how annoying it is to me and he will still will he's like oh you know if you ate green beans you'd be green dave 
Oh, if you fucking, if you were, uh, when you were, oh. teenager, you were King Dave. Oh, yeah. you know, if you were, if you, you know, if you were one of the magic beans and Jack to the Beanstalk, you'd be Bean Dave, you know, like, and he just thinks he's so clever with that shit. And I'm like, dude, this is just annoying. Well, well, hold on, hold on. So there's different personalities. There's personalities who can take zingers on and off stage. I'm one of those guys. I could just do zingers all day. I know you don't appreciate it. So I, I don't do it on the podcast. Well, I don't, but- it's something I don't, it, 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 there's a time and pl- I've got friends that like, when we, when we get together, they're amped up. We're excited to see each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. And we, we will be joking around. I, it was more just the fact that it's really, and I have no, there's times where I would totally embrace Faco. It's that Faco doesn't read that. It's like, ah. he just, he just starts right in with it. And, and then, so that's why, and I, I, I was mad at him for a minute. I remember I, we had a car ride that was uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> and neither Iris, of you fuckers I, drive. Iris and Shannon <laughs> gave me a ride home and Faco was in the car too. And I was not happy with Faco the whole time. And Faco seemed to enjoy it more. He was, he was actually nicer to me when I was, when I was hating him. And uh, then he is when I'm, so that's why I'm like, so, I, maybe I should just go back to hating him, you know, uh, I, and whatever. So, you know, what's uh, funny, Faco, I wasn't, I, I did some zoom comedy, but I wasn't really into it. Yeah. And so Faco was like, Hey, and this was after two months in to pandemic. And I had only done like two or three zooms because people invited me. But then he told me, he's like, Hey dude, you, you got to keep writing and you got to keep performing, start going to these zooms. Cause he was going to zooms and I started yeah. going to all the zooms, the, the local ones. Course, and then you know it's funny. He only goes to the zoom mics. No, well, no, well, now he doesn't happy. go to zoom I mics. I would have been happy to book him on a zoom show of ours or something, but yeah. he, yeah, I don't know. I didn't see him enough at the mics. So, so. the irony is he pulled me into zoom, but then yeah. he ejected right at the same time. Yeah, he yeah, pulls me. He does. Well, he does that. No, he's 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 kind of a he's kind of a prick like that. No, but, I I uh, love the guy. I'm not going to say anything bad about him. If I can, oh, he's funny, if, man. What are you talking about? I say that he's he's not like a real prick, but yeah, 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 yeah. prick. He likes yeah. it. He knows it. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Total awesome guy. So, um, I wanted to bring up some. Hey, do you have? To, we've gone over the hour. Can you keep going, Dave? Yeah, or no? Yeah. Okay. Let's keep going. That. Let's keep going because there's something that um you 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 touched on a word. Um, in our in when we were talking about things you said hobby comic comic now i i am a hobby comic and i'm not i won't apologize for that and i don't care if i i i I don't even i'm not one of these people that like there's some people that throw that around like it's really like like you know trying to try and insult you or something yeah that's what i feel why do some people feel like it's an insult because i'm like i know we already talked about it i'm 45 i my first open mic was there's i want to say there's there's people i don't i don't even like because i i look at it this way I, I don't like saying hobby comic the only the only time that really i'll i'll say that is really when it comes to somebody who wants to act like you know they're so professional and yet oh right doing i mean they're they're clearly their record of work is not something that's indicative of you know yeah being yeah a professional um and, or if they just have an attitude or an opinion on things and they're not really that involved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I don't, uh, you know, is it, it really just, it's an attitude and I, I don't look anything bad. Like, cause I, I played music in the DIY music scene yes. where as we like to say, it was uh, more than a hobby, less than a career because nobody okay. goes into heavy music really thinking I mean, there's some, the people that make a living at music, Melvin's being one of them. They're one of these bands and I, you know, you were saying earlier, I don't aim to go to like, I don't look for things to be specifically obscure, to be obscure. 
I, I when I got into music, I, I genuinely liked these these sounds that were kind of going in these different weird directions. And and then I would start to they would, you know, at a certain point, some of they would start to lose themselves. There was a band I was just listening to. I was talking with one of my old buddies, uh, uh, Jason, uh, one of the bands that I liked when I first heard them was this band Prong. Uh, they had an album called Beg to Differ. Uh, one of their songs actually was used uh, in Headbangers Ball for like their going to commercial and shit, whatever. Okay. And um, and they were they were a pretty cool band. They were almost like they were like uh, what Helmet kind of achieved with In the Meantime or with uh, their album Meantime. Mm-hmm. They were kind of like that before Helmet came out. Okay. They were this they were this band that was clearly like a metal band, but they were just there was something weird and mysterious about them. Yeah, and simple in a way, but yet complex. There was something about it, and the album "Beg to Differ" is still pretty damn good. And then the next album they did, just something they were trying too hard, putting oh, too many words. Yeah. There was it was they're elaborate. Like there was something they lost all that mysterioso. Yeah, and and it, and uh, and it never quite came back. It was just that one album. And before that, they were a New York hardcore band, which was cooler, even though it was more obscure. Um, but um, and I, it just really had to do with the sounds feeling genuine and and whatnot coming from a genuine place, and that's where I think music, especially in the underground music scene, it's more important to be to be um, genuine and and yeah. than it is to be like successful. Uh, you want you know you don't you don't want to be going in there with some mentality of like posturing or trying to pander or anything like that. You want to you know, have a, a sincere vision and sense of vision and display it as such. And, um, and when I first heard the Melvins, they reeked of, of just a, a truly unique sense of themselves that no, like they found an area of music that no one dared choose to go to. Yeah. And, and at the time I would think like the way that music was, to look at them, you'd be like, wow, they're, they're fucking weird. And, but they're yeah. the, the thing that was undeniable, they were heavy as fuck. They had these weird songs with unique changes. I never heard in other music and it was, and it was, it was challenging. So I got it, but I got into them because they ended up pissing off a Guar audience before a Guar show so bad that half the Guar audience left. And I fucking love them for that. And, um, and so that their attitude alone sold me. And then I ended up going back and checking out the music and slowly but surely this became a band that like went from like, yeah, they're interesting. And then it went from, I really like them. Like I'm getting more albums now and holy shit, I fucking love these guys. Like this is one of my, this has got to be my favorite band now. And, uh, and they've been my favorite band since I was like 15 and, um, and they, and they constantly evolve and change and, you know, there's still a sensibility, you know, and they lose some old fans and gain some new ones. That's the thing is their, their fan base always, but they've always been themselves. They've never really like they've changed constantly and yet they're still themselves. And, um, and I, that's, that's what I really admire about them. And if, if there's, and they've made a living doing so because they've, they've worked very hard at being who they are and, and they figure things out and they do things smarter and um and then they continue to work more they as one of the there's a, a golf saying that buzzo the uh, the main guitar player singer says is that the uh, the more i practice the luckier i get and he's and that's that's really that's a philosophy to go with anything that you want to do and do well yeah. i think a lot of the, the thing now specifically with comedy versus music or anything else is that at least with music i mean 
something's got to sound good and appeal to people and attract them for it to to be listened to and liked and all that kind of stuff. you can you can do with all the fixings with all the images or whatever even takashi 69 who i just learned about after all this bullshit i'm sorry uh, to hear that know, He's got he's got some catchy songs though. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard some of them. I don't like them, but they're catchy. I don't. They're too catchy. Um, but he the the I hate puns. You know. But the the thing about it is like I I I if the music's not good, any amount of posturing ain't gonna make it better. You have to still be good with music. Comedy, on the other hand, um, I feel like the same form. The same can be true, but there's so many good comics out there. That unfortunately, the thing that 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 uh, with with comedy, a lot of this the 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 nature of like creativity and, and putting it on the internet and all that has really dictated a lot of what makes something successful versus not it really what they look at views and followers and all this very superficial crap. Or online. someone gets sucked up in the algorithm and they don't even have yeah. the tools, but the algorithm rewarded them for, cause Reward God knows how the algorithm it. works. We don't even and, know how it works. And and the thing is, is there, but I don't want to dismiss the fact is there's people, there's hardworking YouTubers. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I think you, you're going to have a, a glutton of a lot of people who are successful, who are just truly ambitious Yes. And really are not that interesting to watch. A lot of the things that I get, I mean, I get it, I get caught up in some things more than others. Right now, one of the things I've been enjoying since the pandemic, because it like kind of started with the pandemic, is uh, Tim Heidecker from Tim and Eric. Never was a Tim and Eric guy okay. myself, um, but I, I actually went down the rabbit hole and learned about On Cinema at the Cinema, his mock movie review show that he has with Greg Turkington, who's also known as Neil Hamburger. Um, who's like a, a comedic persona that okay. uh, that is pretty funny. He's like a one-liner comedian persona that Greg Turkington does. I got to open for him actually once, and he's very funny. And uh, I only talk. know our hamburger in, here in San Jose. Uh, look at look up Neil Hamburger. He's very funny. Okay. Like here, I'll tell you a Neil Hamburger joke. Okay. Uh, why why did Eric Clapton go from uh, go from PC to Mac? Eric Clapton go from PC to Mac. Yeah, why? Because he, he was clearly having trouble with Windows. <laughs> you, you don't get it? You know Eric Clapton? Of course I know Eric. Who, remember his kid who fell out a window? Oh, shit! <laughs> Dude, you yeah. know, I, uh, I took... A, my wife is originally from Hong Kong. Yeah. And yeah. when we would go visit there, you know, they have... Everyone lives in high-rises there. Yeah. And... They do not give two fucks about safety. My kids were crawling on uh, bunk beds and they were like opening this window that it has a gate, but fall right out. Oh, I think it happens every day. I think a kid falls uh, out of a window yeah. there. Well, they got a lot of people over there. Yeah. Got, you know, <laughs> hurt somehow. But I forgot that's how his son, was it his son died that way or? Uh, his son died. Yeah. Falling out a hotel window. Somehow. Oh my I, I mean, God. that's what tears in heaven. He wrote a tears in heaven. He wrote a hit song from it. So yes. he, he's, he's over it. But um, oh, uh, the the but the thing about it, so uh, Tim Heidecker, to get back to him, he uh, he started. He has a pot. He had a podcast called Office Hours. Okay. He adapted it to YouTube, and every Thursday they do this. Like it's kind of like a mock t uh, morning TV type, you know. Because Heidecker's all meta. He's always okay. like, you know, he even put a he put a, a stand up special on YouTube that's like totally just making fun of the medium of stand up comedy. 
Okay. And it's, 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 I loved it, but it's like first five minutes is him, his, is him totally having trouble with the fucking microphone and the microphone stand, which is just fucking hilarious. But, um, well, that's, he, that was um, Steve Martin. He was yeah, making fun of stand up comedy also. Well, there you go. So you see how it all borrows from itself. And yeah, yeah. Didn't fucking even know. Up <laughs> a joke. Yeah. So, um, but no, so Heidecker, uh, and much like C. Martin, he does a lot of music. He's okay. He this this weird this this thing that he does office hours. It's just every Thursday morning at ten o'clock. And um, I just stumbled upon it one day, and I'm like, I, I like the medium because it's it's him kind of like spoofing Saturday morning or not Saturday spoofing uh, morning talk radio, but also he's got DJ Doug Pound who does the the audio drops that I used to like on the old Champs podcast. Oh, um, nice. And so and yeah, and they and they have some guests. They even got it, they got into some beef with uh with some of the alt-right guys uh that got pretty fucking weird uh huh. last year during the campaign. Because Heidegger was, you know, adamantly anti-Trump, but he's also like it was weird. It got it goes into like the Twitter shit. Um, uh. you know, he talked he openly talked like he he had a whole episode that was dedicated to like QAnon, you know, education and shit, which and uh and it, it got into some weird territory. But um and then, uh, but he had a show called On Cinema at the Cinema that okay. was him and Greg Turkington for years. And they have this like ongoing, the thing is, is it's clearly like a mock show. It was on Adult Swim. It's like, okay. it's this mock uh, uh, movie review show where these these other storylines take place kind of in the backdrop through the oh, whole thing. Oh, okay. And, and it's it's very funny. It's It's a very subtle, very funny thing. And it culminated in like uh, Tim Heidecker, uh, accidentally burning and killing 19 people at their at their uh, movie theater or something, and they have a. You can look it up on YouTube. They have the the court case, the trial of Tim Heidecker. Wow. It's four hours long on on YouTube. It's fucking hilarious. Done in like they they did the whole works, wow. and it's fucking funny. Was it and, uh, was like it they, all improv got, type stuff, or did, were they? It's, it's done all in like it's it's i mean it's done for like the mockumentary style but like it's not my it's not a documentary okay it's done it's played for real but it's not like you like you you and that's the thing tim heidecker has he's tim heidecker himself which yeah. he is on office hours he's himself okay. but when he does on cinema or some of these other things he's the persona of tim heidecker that's this complete fucking asshole that's hilarious Got it. So, I, well, I have them up on my in one of my tabs right now, so I will yeah. go down this rabbit hole. Yeah, check it out. It's it's pretty funny. Nice. Yeah. So that's and I I, I like what he's been doing, and I, I and he's been around for a long time. He's been a he's been a creative, and I've seen his movies. Not a big fan of his movies. Yeah. Because like, they're always these like I I, I don't I, I know he's and I wasn't a big fan of Tim and Eric. I've watched it, but I'm like yeah, I get it. You guys are like you know you're so fucking weird. You're out there. You got to be fucking yeah. high or whatever. I don't know. And, um, but I know he, he's been in some stuff where I've, I've also like appreciated what he, you know, he's a talented dude. And, uh, and I like what he does with office hours. Cause he's just, he's just a real, he's a real smart ass. Okay. And I, I respect that. And that's, so regardless of what, and again, going back to that fucking bullshit of the, you know, people today, you can't, who can't understand why Bill Hicks was ever funny and why, yeah. why, uh, why anybody in the past, like all comedy that's old sucks, you know, whatever. Yeah. I never thought anything much of a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people that I, there's a lot of comedy today that I don't really get why people enjoy it so much. Cause I don't think it's that great, Yeah, but I respect the fact that people laugh at it and I can respect. And also I've met, 
comics whose comedy I wasn't that all that into, yeah. uh, who were headliners. And if they're nice people, I don't give a fuck. I, I, I mean, I, and not that nice thing, but like if they're, if they're just polite, respectful and easy to work with, I can give a fuck what you do. Well, most, yeah, most people who are creating something, what they create is a subjective thing that not everyone responds to. But I'm in the same boat is that I'm at the age where if there's someone creating something and they genuinely love creating that something and then people are responding to it, I will never put hate. I will never put, no, I may not get it. Hate. I may no, not get it. Out there. You gotta let, just like what Dave Chappelle said in the, in the, the black KKK state, if you got hate in your heart, let it out. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta let it out, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So I always, we've had discussions about movies in the past and we touched on movies a little bit. So I kind of feel like, um, I just, I haven't been paying attention to anything, any cinematic type releases through, through the pandemic year. And I know that you are a movie fan, a movie buff. Tell me, give me a couple titles over the last year that really was something that you think, uh, that you enjoyed and you think other people should take in and maybe haven't heard of. Well, I made a list, I remember, and I totally forgot most of it. But okay. um, uh, one movie that I always keep telling people about, because it was a, a low-budget movie on Netflix uh, that has one of my favorite uh, singers of a band, and it's called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Okay. And it's highly underrated. It's a, it's, it's a really cool indie movie with Melanie Linsky and Elijah Wood, and it's, a, it's, a, it's funny, it's, it's heartfelt, it's uh, unique and incredibly what 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 I love about indie films. Um, and David Yao, the lead singer of Jesus Lizard, uh, mm -hmm. he he plays a character in it. That's what drew me to the movie. And it, it goes into like a really cool twist. It's it's one of these movies that actually what I love about it. After Tarantino hit, there were so many Tarantino imitators with like using violence or yeah, uh, you know, trying to mimic all that shit. This is a movie that I want to say, like, imagine if, like, a hint of Tarantino appeared in a Lynn Shelton movie. And if you know Lynn Shelton movies, that's the, the she just passed away. It was Mark Maron's girlfriend who um, also wrote and directed movies throughout okay. the years. Some of these really poignant, well-done uh, comedic dramas, okay. uh, in, some some more comedic than others. But, like, she really made some very, I, I got it, I went down the rabbit hole of her movies, uh, so I highly recommend any Lynn Shelton movie, good, okay. bad, or ugly. They're all good. Um, I uh, I got into Sort of Trust, which was the movie that she directed with Mark Maron in the title. Oh, I've role. been wanting to see that. That's been on my Bunch list. Time. It's very good. Um, so I she died? How did she die? She looks... She died of a... Mis oddly enough, she died in the beginning of the pandemic. She, uh, she collapsed in the middle of the night. Turned out she had a blood disease that she never knew okay. she had. Oh, geez. They thought, they thought it could have been COVID and oh. because she was having fevers and shit, but it turned out it wasn't COVID. She had a condition that she never knew. Oh, man. And, um, and then she just collapsed in the middle of the night one night and, and died at the hospital. It was really tragic because oh, she, geez. like... Yeah, she's not that old. Her her, her nurse no, not she was in her fifties, and it, like her and Marin were like about the same age. They were just been in they've known each other for years, but they were just in this relationship that seemed really good for both of them. And um, and that was at the beginning of the pandemic. And so Marin, uh, I mean, I I loosely follow his podcast, but 
I, I uh, you know, I sent him some emails just uh, for support and stuff. Cause uh, you know, he's, he puts out a really heartfelt show. I really respect a lot of what he does. I was never that big a fan of his, uh, even when the, when his podcast was blowing up, I kept, when I used to do my old podcast, I kept hearing comparisons of like my, like I was like trying to imitate him. And I'm like, I don't even know. I don't even listen to his fucking podcast, but I got into it after people said that. And then I saw what they were talking about. Not so much. His format was more raw. And I was, I, I definitely rant and shit, but I'm not, I'm definitely not Marin. He gets, he gets way more raw than I do. I'm like, I, I know I need to like have some level of construction to what, you know, I can't just go, I don't have the ability to just go up there and show a raw naked nerve and just make mm. it work and, and be able to get asked to, to come back and do a show. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, sort of trust is good. Other movies, um, the what's come out during the pandemic really. Um, Cause most of the movies that I've been watching were like movies that were out that I, oh, I, never, yeah, I yeah, hadn't yeah. seen before. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that uh, what was the other movie that was uh, along the lines. Oh, there's another good movie. This was again before pandemic, but it's, I've been telling, uh, so uh, uh, he won't get, so uh, he won't get far on foot. That was the movie about, I think his name is John Gallagher. He was an artist, a disabled artist. Um, or no, it's not John. Oh, Gallagher. I watched that. Yeah. I yeah, loved that one. Oh, so good. Um, you know what? I'm a big fan of that actor. Uh, what's his name? Joaquin Phoenix. I watch most of his stuff. I, yeah, I like him. He, I loved it better. He was better in that than he was in Joker. I'll give him that. Like, and I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the Joker movie. I wasn't, I, I it's all right. It's not that great. It didn't, it, his performance was cool in it, but it wasn't like Oscar worthy. I felt and I think I think the pacing, I liked the Joker, but I think the pacing was a, was a bit slow. Movie. It was a one note movie. The best Tarantino actually had the best thing about it. It was like it was one dimensional, but the best part about it was the end because you wanted to see him shoot Robert De Niro. He got you get the audience on the Joker's side and shooting De Niro at the end. And I'm like, that's the best trick of the movie. I, but well, the fact is, is dude, the biggest problem is that the Joker has some jokes. And this Joker was not funny. Like he he had some slapstick moments, but there was never like the best part. What what would have made the movie would have sold me on this Joker, is at the very end when he's got the paint and he gets out there yeah. to talk to De Niro, rather than him ranting and telling bad open mic jokes, he sh the transformation should have been him being charming, and him being funny. Because that would have then led misled the audience. Misdirection. That's what yeah. a fucking good comedian does. You and Todd Phillips has lost his way. Instead, Todd Phillips used that moment to say what he thought about cancel culture. Because yeah. he's done irreverent comedies all his life. And so what does he do uh, since he feels he can't do comedies anymore because he can't just, you know, punch down and do whatever the fuck he wants? Uh, he he then makes uh he then takes the Joker puts it through a, a, a lens of David Fincher and tries to make a, an art house approach to a comic book uh, property. And, and it, it it's, he, he was a poser, man. I'm like, Todd Phillips, you should have just made, you should just made another fucking slapstick comedy and said, fuck it. Don't, don't, you know, I, I just didn't, I didn't care for his, and then, and he kept talking about it too. He kept doing interviews. Like it was all this heavy handed bullshit hype. And then people bought into it. I fucking pissed me. That's again. It's it's all the same people. Like Smokey's in this movie. That's what everybody. That's everybody loved the Joker. Joaquin Phoenix is gonna be the Joker. It's gonna be fucking great. And I. 
So, so I, man, I wish we had another two hours to spend on podcasts because I uh, know you have me back, man. Uh, yeah, so. I, I, so I'm not, I don't read comic books, but I follow the movies, both DC and Marvel universe pretty, yeah, pretty I'm, well. I'm but, more movies. I don't read comic books these days either. Yeah. So, so um, I, I think as far as origin stories, the problem with the Joker is this. There's multiple origin stories for this guy. They're all kind of legit. They all come from the comics. You know what podcast you'd be good on? Um, do you know who Brett Not Singer yours? is? What? What are you trying to say? No, no. <laughs> Get off this podcast. No, no, no. Yeah, you're not, you're not good on this one, but you know who you would be good No, no, on. no. So there's this guy, Brett Singer. I don't know if you've done any of his mics. He's an East Coast guy, but he has mm -hmm. a comic book podcast. I bet you would. I bet you and him would be able to hash out this Joker stuff because the problem Maybe. for me... A casual, um, a casual fan of DC. It's like, no, doesn't every villain have only one origin story? But no, with Joker, he has what does he have? Three or four different origins. There's, there's, it, it, well, no, you can. But the thing about comic book movies and stories, you can reinvent it every time, and that's what yeah. Todd Phillips was doing. Yeah. But again, the only thing there's there was two things with, or there was one thing with both Joaquin Phoenix's Joker and what was wrong with Jared Leto's Joker in Suicide Squad, and that yeah. was simply. The Joker didn't have any jokes, even little, little clever quip, one-liner, dark fucking humor. Heath Ledger had some fucking hilarious lines in in an in he was Fight good. Club fucking style of Joker that he was doing, and I think that, that Joaquin Phoenix he had the laugh down. He had like all yeah. of the other elements were there. What was missing was because what the fact is the Joker ends up becoming a, a, a crime, a mad criminal, like a, a criminal, I wouldn't say genius, but like he becomes a, a creative artistic criminal. Yeah. And part of that mind is as comedians have, have said time, shown time and time again, comedians are creative in the dark side of the human spirit. That's what the Joker, that's, that's key in the Joker's character. Yeah. So the Joker needs to be a smart ass. Yeah. He needs to be a witty smartass. And not only that, he's charming because why do we, we as an audience, we love the Joker. We want to see the Joker. Yeah. We like the Joker's evil. Yeah. All right. Because he's funny. And so when you, when you go to, when, when I was looking at this, I wanted to see, and I knew I wasn't going to get it. I'm telling you, when I saw the trailer and all that shit, I'm like, I know, I know what this movie is just from watching it. They're putting it all in the trailer except for the end. And then as soon as, as soon as it got to the end, it was so literal. I, I, yeah. it's, I felt like I was, I felt like uh, Todd Phillips was just giving another one of his fucking interviews through the Joker's mouth. Uh, I, I and, get uh, that. Okay. Rather than making a real character that then had some charming jokes that then made the audience laugh, put the host, caught the host off guard. And then it takes a dark turn. Yeah. Then, right. he, then he says the joke that fucks him up and that makes him say like, Oh, you think that's funny. That's, that's not so funny. And then everybody's like, yeah, this is, what do you, what do you mean? Cause that's, that's misdirection. That's because the fact is they brought him on to make, to laugh at him because they didn't think he was funny in his, in, in the video that they showed earlier when they were mocking him. Yeah. So what do you do to battle it back? You then, you then win him back. You then be like, surprise him by being funny through this new persona, which is what the Joker was supposed to be. This new persona that he was taking on this moniker but instead he just he just limp dicked it with a rant that yeah. was basically just like a Facebook okay. rant. And then he and then not only that, then he has a horrible joke. So you get what you fucking deserve. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, dude, that's so fucking weak. 
but like 13 year olds write better than that. And so, and that, and then they, and then and the fact is this dude, he's like th- that Joker is the epitome of the fragile school shooter Joker. Like this one couldn't handle a crime. He couldn't coordinate a criminal underground. This one, the, the Batman would fucking beat him in like a, your mama contest. You know, he, he's fucking sucks. I, and that's why I was like, this is no Joker that the Bruce Wayne's going to have any trouble defeating. I, I, no Joker. No, I, I totally, I, I understand. He was Joaquin Phoenix in face makeup. That's what he was. Yeah. He was more the Joker in the master. You know? I, yeah. I, I, after you explain it that way, I understand the critique because here's why he was very infantile. Yeah. Yeah. He's fucking, he was just, he was just, ah! Yeah, 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 yeah. Get away from me. Yeah, yeah and, okay. and even the murders he did was a childlike rage. Yeah, not yeah, uh no, there was no there was the, I get it. To, I get it. To come into some level of diabolical like yeah, 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 yeah. Like, there wasn't power with this. I have I there is power in the chaos that I am yeah. creating. That's what Heath Ledger's character was definitely putting into words too literally, but yeah. that's kind of what, what Heath Ledger was leading to with the his. Trouble is, is the territory that that Todd Phillips was. It, it was funny, ironically enough. It totally fits with what Todd Phillips was doing at the time, which was being infantile about a lot of the culture that really wasn't. No one was going after him. Like Todd Phillips was. There's a lot of these people that like you know. No one was like canceling old school or you know any of these movies that like yeah had you know, 30 year olds, you know, chasing teenagers or whatever else. Nobody was like, you know, people might point I, out that like it hasn't aged well, but nobody was going after Todd Phillips. I, I watched and, old school uh, like three months ago and I was like, eee. I love it. Yeah, no, I watched it. Uh, the, I, I listened to a, a great podcast that I love. That's all about movies is the rewatchables. I listen. I got oh, yeah. into that in the pandemic. And, um, and one of the movies they watched was old school. And and one of their categories is what hasn't aged well, and uh, and so and they, it's there's a lot of good stuff and all so, that, but but it's still funny. I I, I, still I don't want to get off I don't want to get off the subject of the Joker because I want to I want to wrap up our podcast, but I want to say a couple things about the Joker. So number yeah. one, I now once you explained all of that, I totally understand it hindsight, and I see why it's it's a solid critique of what that movie was. I, I still, I enjoyed the movie. I'll probably watch it again. I, and I watched, here's- I've watched it. I've, I go back, what's weird about movies, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go back and watch movies that like almost did it for me. Like sometime, you know, like I'm a fan of some, I'm not a fan of like good, like I'm a fan of some, a lot of shitty movies, man. So, I'm not, like, yeah. Because movies, the movie doesn't have to be fucking brilliant for to be rewatchable and all yeah. that kind of shit. Some of my favorite early movies were fucking garbage. But but um, as a comedian, yeah, Joker Joker is enough to watch again. Yeah, as a comedian, there's one scene in there, and I, I want to get your take on this because, um, my opinion of being, a, a first off a hobby comic, and also new, to to the discipline of doing stand up comedy, no movie has ever got the awkwardness you feel as a new comic right, except for there's two, two things that have gotten the new comic awkwardness down right. The Joker scene where he finally gets that spot in the club and Gary Goldman goes up yeah. first and then he goes up and he's so awkward. Like as a viewer, you're just like, Ugh. and then the other show that has got the awkwardness of a new comic down right is crashing with Pete yeah, Holmes. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, where, you are so bad as a new comic and it's almost revolting 
to the audience how bad you are as a new comic. And yeah, those two, I mean, cra crashing had more to try and establish that, so they were like kind of amping that up more. Yeah, because yeah, so many of these movies that that show the journey of stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. They are, they got it all wrong. Like this whole Miss Maisel thing, get the fuck out of here, Miss Maisel. With so like, far, that, I mean, here's the thing most, I mean, people forget cinema and move and TV. They're not, it's not, it's make believe. Yeah, it's, yeah, okay, okay. You can make things feel realistic without being realistic. One of my favorite movies in the media, it, Funny People. I love Funny People. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I like that one too. Indulgent movies. Fuck Facebook in the face. Uh, yeah. There's, but I think the, there's aspects to that movie that yeah. ring true okay. mainly because it's, it's Judd Apatow's, his experience from working with, um, um, Gary Shandling, the, oh. the relationship between Seth Rogen and Adam Sandler, albeit not completely, uh, I bet this is a, somebody's calling me. I bet this is a, one of these bullshit auto calls. Hello. Yeah, it's some congratulations. Bullshit. Bullshit. Um, so no, but uh, what I was saying, the the movie itself, I think there's aspects to it that have moments that ring true. Now, it wasn't talking so much at a beginning level of starting to do stand-up, but definitely the levels of like, here are these guys that are just trying to get spots on, on off nights. Here's an established star uh, who then is trying to like, get yeah. back into it and hires a guy to write for him. Yeah. And then the rivalry between him and his roommates. And, and one of the roommates is a guy who's got like a, a part on some TV show that barely nobody gives a fuck about, but right. he's, he feels enough that he's a star to, you know, act like a hotshot and bang whoever he wants. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of realism in, in yeah. that depiction. Cause those are those guys, those, I mean, right. those guys are successful dudes who I want to say like, have have managed to maintain a level of like not you know it, it ain't it, the funny thing that everybody taught you know everybody that we know doing i don't i don't call you a hobby comic you're you're you know you're a comedian you're aspiring whatever you're not a hobbyist because look at you you got a microphone there doing your podcast stuff yeah you know you put you, you've invested time and thought and energy into what you're doing yeah. that's a hobby comic to me is more just somebody that like really is flippant about what they're, you know, but they still call it being a comedian. Oh. Like, yeah, I've, done, I've done comedy, you know, I do comedy like, like the, I know one dude, he's a friend of mine, says he's done comedy 10, 11 years. And I'm like, no, you haven't, man. Because yeah. I never saw you until 2015. If you did any comedy before that, you probably hit some open mics. You might've done a show here and there that, you know, some bringer bullshit that you got linked into, mm -hmm. but you weren't doing comedy and and because you would be we would i would i would know you i would have seen you around yeah and you live in the same area as me right. there's no way that you were doing it at that time i you know i started in 2010 and i didn't start really going like what's funny is it took me about uh i wasn't starting to go every night to open mics to hit everything i could until probably middle of the summer that year and i started in april mm. and it was because some of the guys that i used to do drugs with were like being really hard on me, like going like, Dave, you think you're going to be a comedian when you're here all the time? And like, uh, they're talking shit to me, but they were like, it, it was true. And, and it was kind of like uh, that scene in Goodwill Hunting where, where Ben Affleck's like, you know, someday I hope to come here and I don't see you here. And it was kind of like one of those speeches. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and one of the guys that I was doing drugs with was like, yeah, we shouldn't be seeing you here if you're, if you're out really trying to pursue this. And they were right. And so I, and I, I started, getting out there more and i started seeing some some of the work pay off 
Um, because also it wasn't fun being 33 and being a beginner at something again. Um, but I also didn't, I, I was, I thought of it as promoting my band, but in the end it was the thing that kind of like drove the band was already kind of getting ready to, to break up anyway. But, um, and it was kind of the driving force, but, um, but in the end I ended up finding that I was all right at something and that I could, I think I could do this to be at least like, I'm like, I'm looking at who's making a go of this. And I think I can be funnier than them. Yeah. And, um, and it was, but not to, not to, you know, take anybody down or whatever, but that was just what I was looking at. And then I, 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 to be perfectly honest, looking at the climate, I never thought I'd be somebody that would get hired by at punchline, but I found my way in my opportunity and worked and, and realized, Oh shit, I, I, I got in that and I've, I've achieved some other goals. There's other goals that like, you know, uh, you know, yeah, it'd be nice, you know, when you think about a lot of stuff, but th- that the other thing about, I come from a, a scene from the music scene and all that stuff where, again, I have it embedded in my head to be genuine. I I don't like the, the feeling of pursuing something that really, you know, ultimately, yeah, I would like to, I would like accolades. I would like yeah. to be invited to go you know do something on television or whatever i'm in a movie it's not a particularly good one but it's yeah. i'm in a movie it's on amazon prime live or die in la honda i'm not bad in it but i'm not a good actor either um i think i'm funny in it which was my job um and uh but i don't you know i don't i, I wasn't like it was funny i barely posted about it because i like the direct the writer director guy he was really cool and and it was really an earnest effort and all that. And I posted about it. And I remember one of these fucking assholes that's like a friend of mine who's friends with other assholes. He's like, you know, trying to trying to throw me under the bus as though like I'm bragging about this shit. I'm like, I'm really not. I'm really just doing this to show. You're promoting. I have, fuck that guy. You got everyone's got to promote whatever they do. Yeah, but I'm. But the, the thing is, is I I promote with a with a sense of also like, yeah, here's something for you to ignore. You know, I I it, it's really just like an honest approach of like it's, it's here, take it or leave it. And, and believe me, I'm not, but I also don't want to cut the movie down, but I'm not, it's not Shakespeare. Um, and I don't even Shakespeare doesn't do, I mean, it's not, it's just, it could have been a cooler movie, but you know, I have my thoughts on that another time. Yeah. yeah. But, um, uh, but like I make my, in the meantime show on YouTube and I, you know, I I make that, I haven't done one in a while. I got two episodes. I got to edit. It's just going to be a long, take a long time. But, um, um, and I like making them. I was glad the pandemic put me in that mode. I got more savvy into editing on, on my uh, MacBook and all that. And I made and I made some fun episodes that I enjoyed. And there and I've made them always made them as like these time capsule pieces. Yeah, uh, go back and for people to check out so that they're not just of the time. It's also like something that you can always go back to because I've had some friends that are no longer with us that I interviewed on those. Yeah, and now they're kind of like they're they're forever there for I- people to visit. I think whatever you're doing in life, a podcast or a vlog or whatever we're calling it, it, it's, it can only help because think of yourself like, right. When I do a podcast and this isn't meant to be uh, pompous or anything, when I do a podcast, I'm not thinking of myself as a comedian. I'm thinking of myself more as an archivist. Like this, yeah. this is, this is a conversation where m- mine and mean Dave's head were at in 2021, oh. 2021. Right. And oh. so, uh, if nothing else, I've archived something. It's out there. I don't expect anything for it. 
Nothing will probably ever come of it, but whatever, it's been done. I, I feel good about it. Hopefully, you feel good about it. I think it's, I think you have. I've, I've seen who you have on. I haven't watched an episode. But, oh, no, I have, I <laughs> there we so go. I, I think I, I listened to a Sean, the Sean Boyles one, so I had some ammo on him or something. Because uh, we had so many I, internet I, connections on our last podcast, it was I bad. A, I have a fun, playful rivalry with Sean Boyles. Oh, we, yeah, um, we all know about. Th- By the way, I had multiple things I wanted to talk about in your conversation with Sean that were really another like words of wisdoms. Like you said something like Sean, me and Sean had talked about creativity during the pandemic and he was like, well, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to get motivated. But then at the same token, I was like, when are we ever going to get time again like this? And you mentioned, you said something about fine, do the most uninspired work you can possibly do during the pandemic. And I was like, fuck yeah, mean Dave, that's what I'm doing. I, I don't write good jokes every day, but I write jokes every day. <laughs> you know? No, and that's, that's honest. And I, yeah. I beyond like, uh, one of my friends, Gabby Pochio, she was like, have you written any new material and all that? I said, I probably got like 15 minutes that are new that, that that's good. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, good for me. Right. Um, and then I, but I also, I have another like probably 15 to 20 minutes that I've, I've tried throughout yeah. the pandemic that didn't that and it worked maybe here or there, but it never really stuck. Yeah. And um, because a lot of my jokes, I tend to write on stage. Like I'll have an idea. It usually comes from a rant on stage. And then I, I figure out my punchlines by reworking through that rant. And if the rant doesn't stick with me, because usually my rants are like something that's on my mind from the heart, which is easier to remember. And that's why uh, a lot of the, that's why, you know, I don't really, you know, I encourage, you know, it's good if you are one of the people that writes things down, but I don't, I don't, I'm not one of the people that like, I have a good memory. Mm-hmm. I don't need to, to write things down when I feel it. And, um, which, but, but it's a harder process because yeah, you do need to write down basic ideas, maybe just like, Oh, maybe I should try this out and come to this. That's what I, I mm-hmm. try to look at my Facebook page for like anything like, Oh, maybe is this worth talking about? Should I talk about this? But a lot of my, a lot of my jokes that have stuck with me have mostly started uh, just from like something that was itching in my brain that I couldn't scratch. And I had, and I talked about it and came up with an angle on it through just talking like myself. Like, I mean, there's been bits that have formed out of talking with people on podcasts and and whatnot. Um, casual conversations. Usually my best jokes come from me making my mom laugh. I've, I've found like my, one of my favorite jokes was something that my, was a conversation. I don't really do it that much anymore, but it was a conversation with my mom. Um, where I was joking with her, I said, yeah, mom, you should have been more encouraging about like where you, you you know, you shouldn't have encouraged, you shouldn't be encouraged me to be a comedian. You should have encouraged me to become a serial killer. And and we were laughing about it and she, but, and then we, we kind of riffed on it. Like my mom helped me write this. And I'm like, nice. And and literally, so that's why I said, yeah, my mom isn't very supportive of comedy. She said I should have gone with my strengths and should have became a serial killer. And then I Start, she starts listing off serial killers like they have role model qualities like you know you're not very charming with women if you were a little more charming like the night stalker richard ramirez oh, or Ted Bundy, maybe you'd have a grandson by now because they got love letters in prison after all their yeah. murderous crimes you know obviously that's game uh they say you're not you know you're not very funny uh but maybe if you were uh, a little more maybe if you were uh, a little more you know had a little more performance you know, base humor to you. Like uh, maybe if you dressed up like a, a clown and could amuse people like John Wayne Gacy, oh. maybe you could in them long enough to laugh and maybe kill them the way that he did. Can we just uh, talk about how he fucked up the image of clowns? 
oh yeah, whatever. And then I, I don't think he did. I think he did great. And, uh, <laughs> and then and she goes, I don't think your comedy can hold that level of focus. Uh, and then, and she goes, let's look at the economic facts. Uh, and this isn't true today. So that's why I don't really do this Joe. but like comedy isn't paying the bills. And if you're a little more like Jeffrey Dahmer, at least you would be eating. And, and so that's, yeah. So you got that one. And, uh, and then I go, that's when I stand up to my mom and I say, you know what, mom, you really need to shut up because you're dead. I shouldn't be hearing your voices in my head anymore. Uh, you know, doctors tell me not to listen to you when I'm off my meds. And then she always chimes back with some cheap shit. Well, a good son would dig up his mother and wear her skin in the full moonlight. I'm like, I'm not falling for that shit twice, mom. And, um, and I wrote that joke. My mom's alive. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and whenever she's in the audience, I used to tell that joke yeah. and be like, my, my mom's alive and well and living outside of my head. Right, mom? She'd go, right. And then I'm like, now, see, you feel like you're going insane with me, huh? And, like, and, nice. laugh that shit. and it was, but it was a lot of fun because it's a joke that pays homage to Psycho, the movie yep. classic Psycho, yep. uh, Ed Dean. Uh, plus all of this, and I got to use all my serial killer knowledge, not all of it, but a lot of my serial killer knowledge. There's more tags you could throw in there about yeah. other, you know, other killers. You know, if you're a little more, I don't know what the fuck, uh, you know, if you, you know, if you, if you're more in touch with your feminine side, you could be more like BTK. I don't know. Um, just, you know, shit like that. But, um, but that's my mom's was like truly like my favorite open mic audience nice. to have around when I lived at her house. And she still is to some extent. Like she, yeah. you know, when I, when I, if I talk with her and I bullshit with her and stuff, we were talking about something the other day and I was making her laugh and I was like, yeah, maybe there's a bit here. I don't know. It was, it was kind of too inside baseball between us for yeah. it to be like a bit, but, um, but I just, I, I do love making all of my parents laugh and my siblings. So. Cool. I'm kind of the same way. My first audience is my family, but yeah. Hey, um, Dave, I, I got to wrap this. I got to wrap this up, man. Well, we got another hour in us. We got to, <laughs> no, I'm sure we do, but I gotta, I gotta go pee. I gotta walk the dog yeah, and I gotta, no, go, I gotta go. go, go with so, um, Hey man, I, I really appreciate this. I think we do have to do a follow up because I think movies and cinema alone, we could probably oh, do two, yeah. crack off two hour podcasts, oh, but oh, Hey man, I, I really appreciate it. And I'm hoping that, um, I'm not, I, I made a, not that I'm not that I get booked, but I, I probably won't be doing live comedy until I get the old, uh, the old vaccine, but I, I hope to see you soon, my friend. You and, that, uh, you're really that that's, Hey, if any of your fans, yes. if there's anybody out there, uh, Venmo me money, man. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. Dave, I'm, I'm going to put dash Dave dash two, two, five. You know what? Hey, uh, Dave, I promise I will no. put your Venmo in yeah, my um both go, the, the podcast You're, and the youtube anything i i have no problem because with venmo because i have at least yeah. three listeners and yeah. uh i'm sure they're yeah. very generous yeah please be feel free all right we're, so. we're gonna kill the stream all right, all right guys okay